it is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too it's a thing and now the truth is out there i can tell you about my favorite place to have fun chumba casino they have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week you can play for free anytime anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses so join me in the fun sign up now at chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary btw void were prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus it is ryan here and i have a question for you what do you do when you win like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It's time for today's Lucky Land horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.
Salutations, Mets fans, and welcome to this week's edition of Amazing Avenue Audio, the official podcast of your SB Nation New York Mets site, Amazing Avenue. I'm your host, Jeffrey Paternostro, and we are uh, live at Foley's on West 33rd Street in Manhattan to do another live show. I am joined this week by my co-hosts, Chris McShane and Greg Karam. Gentlemen, as reported by our guest this week, Ted Berg, the Nationals are playing Sarah McLaughlin and other easy-listening tunes during opponents' batting practice. If you can make a batting practice playlist to distract and infuriate the opposing team at City, what would be your side one, track one? Oh, well, it would have to be something very uh, emo, in my opinion, something that's going to depress you. Uh, so I'm thinking something like that cat for cutie, you know, follow you into the dark or something yeah, yeah. like that. You know, you start thinking about, like, your loved ones dying while you're, you know, getting warmed up for batting practice. Dashboard confessionals there, too. I Dashboard think an confessionals, perfect. Um, like, I don't know, you really focus on, like, BP when, like, screaming infidelity is just playing. Yeah, like, well, actually, but, you know, I, I'd like to get pumped up by listening to, uh, you know, some Rage Against the Machine or something like yeah, that. Yeah. So the antithesis of that, I think, is going to be some Death Cab and some, like you said, uh, Dashboard Confessional. Um... Chris, what popular early 2000s indie band are you going to reference here? <laughs> uh, I wasn't going to, actually. I'm going with Coltrane Ascension, as loud as we can play it in the stadium, and then we're going to follow it up with Ornette Coleman, you know, and, and just a so full as much hour. acid jazz as possible. Yeah, yeah. like, I, it's not for the average person. It's probably definitely not for the average baseball player. I feel like it would really piss them off, so... So yeah. I think that's what it comes down to is you're dealing with baseball players that A, have terrible taste in music as a general rule. Right. And B, have already heard like 7,000 versions of center field while taking batting practice at various <laughs> levels of the minors. Um, and uh, like Norwich, I go to Norwich every year to see Penn League stuff and they do a thing where they play like funny music for the opposing batters and they're like walk up, walking off like the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles theme or Call Me Baby or whatever popular like Right. Girls just want to have fun, Tiffany, whatever. And that doesn't seem to bother them. They're professionals. They they listen to crappy music. You really got to kind of like really, really kind of mix it up. So even I feel like Trancy Techno or like Vivaldi's Four Seasons, and that, it would be, be refreshing enough that it will be a change of pace. Anything that takes them out of their comfort zone. Yeah, something takes them out of their comfort zone and really sort of like almost has like a Brechtian challenge to their, yeah. their state of being. So I went with the... Philip Glass opera Einstein at the Beach, which is five hours long. The entire music part is just like electronic keyboard. It's like that kind of like Philip Glass minimalist thing. And then uh, the entire libretto. I guess the story is it was originally like they were just didn't have a libretto, so they would do like solfege or like bits of poetry for the for the words, and they just ended up keeping that for the show. So you have five hours of that for batting, for a visiting VP. And you, you actually would have to play, it's really like really formalist opera, like the weird movements on stage and stuff. So since you have that 62% larger screen at City now, you put that up there on the screen while they're taking BP. Is that that right over the batter's eye where they're looking? And like, how, how are you going to like play baseball after that? It's impossible. <laughs> Leave it to Jeff to come up with some kind of reference that I've I'm married to a classical composer. This is what happens. If I, if I can, a second idea, uh, and I'm just taking this, and I forget who wrote it. Someone on the internet wrote a story about going to a bar with a jukebox and playing The Boys Are Back in Town. Like seven, it was really like Eric Mall. It's one of like the vaguely, yeah. Uh, John Mulaney, is it a John Mulaney sketch? 
It might be a John Mulaney sketch, but there's a there's a guy who writes for Deadspin. He's the same guy that uh, goes in and like ruins fantasy baseball and football mock drafts. I don't remember who it is. Right. But just a real, a real life troll. Yeah, yeah. You know, so I don't, it wouldn't necessarily have to be that song, but just a song on repeat enough times that, yeah. that it would start to drive you crazy. Yes. Boys Are Back in Town is good for that, I feel like. Yeah. Yeah. I think that was a good pick for. Uh, they did that on a radio station. It's getting hot in here, right? I remember when I was. Uh, when oh, I was a, yes. That was a big thing on Twitter. Yeah. On baseball Twitter, that, that was yeah, popular. Of course. When I was a teenager, some, there, I guess they were. I don't know if the, the station was changing formats and the and the staff got pissed or it was just a disgruntled staff member. But he played, uh, he locked himself in the radio station and played like Lincoln Park's, uh, not Lincoln Park, uh, Limp Biscuits break stuff just like <laughs> for an hour before they finally saw it. Oh my god, that's just my, over and over again. That's my wheelhouse from high school. Yeah, it is. It's not good. Oh, that's not something you want to be admitting on the podcast, right? I, I will, I'll, I'll join you in that. Oh, man. There, there was a time. They were very popular. I, I regret nothing. <laughs> when I worked at a small chain, like, uh, department store summers in, in high school, I would put on, like, the local modern rock radio station That's while I was working in electronics car, and it was not pretty. It was, like, a lot of system of a down. Oh, right when Chop Suey got big, so it was, like, the biggest, it's, like, Chop Suey over and over again. I went to a concert that, I went to a Limp Biscuit concert, and System of a Down opened, and I knew who they were, and it was, like... It's the best thing I that slipped out there too. Yeah, I saw I saw System of a Down at an Ozfest. Uh, they they were on the main stage then. That was actually pretty good. I, I think I only went to Ozfest once. Down headlined the second stage, and amp lit on fire during their set, uh, and they played right through it. So that was that was a highlight. And then Rob Zombie was like pouring fake blood on everybody. <laughs> And then uh, System of a Down and, and, and Ozzy, you know. I, think it, I it saw was... System of a Down at, like, I think, like, Webster Hall, like, one of those small venues. One of the scariest experiences of my life. They did, like, a I was whirlpool. Just, I, was, and, like, I was just at Webster Hall on Thursday for a Mountain Ghost show, and I was scared I was going to, like, die in a fire. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, every exactly. time you go in there, it's kind of like that. Yeah. The, the worst show I've ever seen, since we're totally into the music here now on the podcast, <laughs> uh, Brian Jonestown oh. Massacre was at Webster Hall. And they argued about Webster the next Hall song for, for like five five to seven minutes between every song. It was brutal. And I actually left early. And I can listen to them on record. You know, they're not my favorite band or anything, but I can listen to them on Stand record. Right. And, and two and a half hours into the show, my cousin and I turned to each other. We're like, he, he, I'm like, Did you, right, do you want to stay for the rest of this? Like, no. Like, we both didn't want to say it. And we probably would have left a half hour earlier. It, it was brutal. Are we done now? Yeah. yeah. Right, Back to baseball. This right. is episode 113 of Amazing Avenue Audio. Uh, live at Foley's 2, colon, podcast harder. There's no good, like, sequel after the... Like, you can't do electric Google. That just gets boring after a while. Right. But Live at Foley's 2, colon, podcast harder edition. The Mets are 2-2 two and two after the usual horrific loss at Turner Field. Inevitable conic, cosmic punishment that makes you feel like you uh, have made terrible life choices up to this point. <laughs> Every game there. Only had two more years. We will touch on what we should take from these four games with small sample size wizard Ted Bird in a bit. But to kick things off, we have our minor league preview. Minor league is, of course, the one thing Mets fans recently have been able to cling on to, and they kicked off play on Thursday night. So we'll go level by level, discuss the important players, storylines, and such. And yes, Ted Berg of USA Today. 
will come on in a bit for a discussion of sandwiches, Taco Bell, Cole Hamels, and how much Mets fans are allowed to panic after four games. And he's not going to stop us, so. <laughs> then we'll answer some of your questions and give away some stuff. I'm not sure how. We have some t-shirts, we have a blueprint of City Field, and two tickets to the Mets pitch talks at BB Kings in May, which is not the best prize. So all you're going to be doing is, again, sitting in a bar, listening to me talk about Mets baseball. So well, you'll don't be know on why a, you would want to do that again. You will be on a much larger yeah. stage. You'll be on a much larger stage, yeah. I will maybe dress a little better than this, too. <laughs> we'll kick things off, episode 113, with our minor league preview. And we start at the top with Wally Backman's Las Vegas 51s. So, I guess we'll frame this a few different ways, and we'll go, when there's major storylines for any of the affiliates, we'll discuss those, of course. But for the Las Vegas 51s, who is the prospect you are most excited about? Chris McShane. Most excited about it for me is still Syndergaard. Um, you know, I touched on this a few weeks ago when I came back from San Luis and, and the highlight of that trip for me was the way he looked on the, the last day I was there. Uh, I mean, he just, he was dominant, you know. I know it was a spring training game, but the Marlins had a pretty decent lineup out there, and I know he, does, he doesn't necessarily look that way every time out, but just seeing what he can do in person against real hitters. And Giancarlo Stanton went up there, and no, Syndergaard looked good. So, most excited for me is still him. You know, I know there's, there's a few guys at the level that are probably going to see some major league time this year. Some might see it before he does, but the, that, the ceiling is still so high that uh, that's still my my guy to watch. Great care him. Well, I got to go with Steven Nets. Um, well, my two top choices are off the board. <laughs> well, there's only so many players, but, you know, Nats is a guy who... You know, I watched a couple starts from last year, and the guy's his stuff is so good. I believe the word is he's a motherfucker. He's a motherfucker. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> trademark uh, Mason Avenue Audio. But uh, yeah, he's just he's got he's got the arsenal that's and he's got the command of the secondary pitches um, at a level that I just to your eye it just looked a little bit more refined than what Syndergaard was bringing to the table um, last year. So I just think that he's a guy who can. I'm excited about him because I think that he can take that step to the next level and, you know, become a guy who can contribute at the major league level. And we go with Dilson Herrera, who's kind of a bit of the forgotten man, but maybe the shortstop by May 1st. (laughs) 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 If it comes to that. I'm not suggesting that as the primary course of action, but he's an interesting one because he's one of the youngest players in the PCL this year. Even after uh, being one of the youngest players in the major leagues last year, I think only uh, Rudy Odora was was younger than him last season. And I don't, I've said this before on the show, I don't know where I stand on Dilson Herrera relative to the prospect ranking industrial complex at large, but he's a guy that can hit 270 with some pop, play a decent second base, steal some bases... You know, we always joke, and apparently coming out of the Barwis camp is ridiculously rich now. <laughs> uh, I mean, he might be pound for pound have the most power in the system. I think he probably does, to be honest with you. Um, and he's a guy that is, you know, next injured, especially if it's Murph, who, uh, as far as I can tell, is seeing as few pitches as possible before he reaches free agency. Yeah. <laughs> 
We're not supposed to react to four game sample sizes, but here we are. Uh, <laughs> and he's a guy that could come up and be uh, be an impact player. And I think they might be a little more aggressive with him compared to the, the two arms mentioned so far. I can see that. Yeah. So what was the most uh, surprising assignment to you, or non-assignment to Vegas? Chris? Uh... Chris is furiously like, looking over the Las Vegas <laughs> roster right now. I I guess most surprising non-assignment, even though I understand the reasoning behind it, uh, and Greg and I, Greg, we tweeted about it earlier today, but Nimmo not starting the season, there was still probably it for me. Um, you know, if he's still working on the swing and trying to get comfortable with anything he worked with Kevin Long on over the winter, I get it. You know, get him back in Binghamton, get comfortable with it before you go up there, but... You know, if you asked me on January 1st, where is Nimmo playing uh, at the beginning of April, I would have said Vegas. So. Yeah. I mean, we could just talk about Nimmo, because unless you're really disappointed that Eric Campbell got sent out so they could carry 13 pitchers, and even I'm not, and I hate 13 pitchers in general rule. <laughs> I also don't like Eric Campbell, so here we are. Um, if you really want to, like, grouse over Johnny Minnell getting sent down over Anthony Rector, but nobody wants to do that. But yeah, the Nimmo assignment... So, here's the thing about the Nimmo assignment. If you're looking at it purely as he didn't do enough in Binghamton last year to earn a promotion to the AAA Vegas, I just don't buy that. Um, you know, I had I was watching him probably a week or two after he got to to Binghamton. I was sitting next to Jason Parks, who was our guest last year at our live show. And we were joking about it because Herrera was knocking the cover off the ball there. And Nemo, it's, again, it was two weeks, had uh, had some struggles. He was hitting like 220 with a bunch of walks. He was striking out some. And it's just like, he had looked so good in St. Louis, and now people are going to overreact to this, and they're going to overreact to what Herrera is doing. And, of course, come September, that's what happened in a lot of cases. And I like Dilson Herrera a lot. I still think Brandon Nemo is a better prospect for a variety of reasons. Uh, it, these are the same people that are going to be killing Ahmed Rosario in July when he's hitting 220 in St. Lucie <laughs> as the youngest player in the league. And we'll get to the Rosario assignment when we get to St. Lucie. But, you know, it allows him to play center field every day. And do this thing. I don't think he's going to be there that long. But I do think there is something to him working out his, his new swing there. And I think there's definitely something to The idea that, yeah, maybe you want to see him kill the league for six weeks. And it was just a Babbitt thing. But yeah, let him kill the league for six weeks. Then you make the promotion. And I think seeing AAA lefties for him is going to be a big test. But I don't have a huge problem with it. But, I mean, they had talked all winter. They had it set in the bar, sort of like, Brandon Nimmo is going to be in Vegas. He did enough to get to Vegas. I think it will probably be less than that. Yeah, that's what he said. Uh, that's what Alderson said when he talked to... Um uh, Lynn from uh, the Binghamton. Linworthy. Yeah, Linworthy. There you go. Um, when he spoke to them, he said that you know, Nimmo had probably done enough. But it's fine. I mean, if you want to consolidate some of those gains, it's not like. I mean, it's not like he's probably going to be in the majors this year anyway if he had gone to Vegas. September. I just noticed someone no. in the audience has the Omir Santos Lightning God t shirt <laughs> on, and I'm really upset now. <laughs> <laughs> Continue, Greg. Sorry. <laughs> So, I mean, they're pretty set in the major leagues in the outfield at this point. I mean, if anything happens to any of the starters, you know, you got Kirk Duenheis there, you got John Mayberry too, then 
You can just signal her. Uh, She'll get you another beer. Soon. You don't have to stand up and like, leave this Because <laughs> I need one, too. So Continue, Greg. I think it's fine. I think it's fine. You know, let him consolidate his gains. Let him, you know, kill the league for a little bit. Work on his new swing that it, it seems to be that he has. And, uh, you know, he'll be in Vegas at the end of the year. And then, you know, he'll be in the conversation for the majors, you know, next year. You have to add him to the 40 anyway. Yeah, so, so in September, right, right. we'll see where he is. And we'll go from there. He is playing right field, so Gilbert Gomez can play center today in the Binghamton-Akron game I have on my phone in front of the computer, so we can watch Gabby and Noah pitch. I'm trying to keep the verisimilitude of every other podcast, even though we're live and we're watching some other game while doing it. Yeah. So who's the guy at Vegas that can really change the conversation about him as a prospect for good or for ill this season? I think that uh, Matt Bowman is a guy. Took my answer. Ah, we both run a trail, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> He's got a lot of buzz around him, especially coming out of spring training and the way he's pitched against um, you know, major league competition. Uh, during he's definitely training. another beer now. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, I mean, he, he didn't have the you know the best outing last night in terms of you know runs allowed, but uh, he did strike a lot of guys out. And um, his FIP was very good. His FIP sure. was very good. So you know, that's a guy who could put himself into the conversation as a you know maybe a spot starter, maybe a guy who could uh, you know work for you out of, out of the pen. And um, you know, whereas last year there was just kind of another guy in the system, you know, just kind of a you didn't really think too much about him, but you really changed the conversation about him. Chris McShane furiously once again searching the Las Vegas roster for an answer. <laughs> well, Greg did take my answer. Uh, I don't know. I, I think. I think Satter White might actually get himself into the Major League bullpen at some point this year. Uh, inevitably, there will be injuries. I know he's a little older, but uh, but yeah, something about him. He's, he's a beastly guy. big dude. Yeah. So maybe that's that's sort of the trend here with me for Vegas. Just the big, the, the tall, big dudes. Is what I'm. They've had, they, they seem to be able to find these like fireballing indie league guys lately. Yes. They got John Velasquez, the Rule 5 minor league pick. They got a couple of guys this year that are in the St. Lucie roster. Like Mike Keppel, who's actually in, in uh, Brooklyn last year. Yeah. And some other dude that's totally touching 95 as a former first-round pick. So, so it, Whoever their bird dogs are, are doing a pretty good job. Yeah. So I thought Satterwhite would be my code <laughs> I think that might be the first Satterwhite mentioned on the podcast. I mean, I must have mentioned it at some point last year. Uh, I'm going with Hustle Robles. I like Satterwhite, and that's what I mean. It's Vegas. It's PCL. It's a bunch of 27-year-olds Yeah. for the most part, so I can't get super excited. But... Thank you. More beer. Yeah, we'll take a break here. Crack my next beer open. Yeah. That's a good stuff. That's live. That's great radio. It's just me pouring a beer right in front of the mic. Um, but you know, he's a guy that was... Moved to the pen, started sitting 94-96 instead of in the low 90s. He's got a low arm slot, so he's be tough on right-handed hitters. And since they're insistent on keeping eight relievers in the pen, there's going to be they're going to there's going to be some churn and burn there. And I think if he has a good two months in Vegas in that environment, he could be up. As we like to do on the show, this does not necessarily have to be a prospect. But who's your guy in Las Vegas? Um, well, one of the guys that's already there 
I don't want to. I don't want to go back to the well. So Danny Monell is already one of my guys, but I don't want to go back to the well. I want to go to So I'm gonna go with another guy who's never, ever. I don't think been talked about in the podcast. This guy uh, Travis Tyrone. No, we've talked about Tyrone. We talk, I've seen Tyrone, Tyrone the last four years. So yes, we've talked about Travis. <laughs> but like, I feel like we kind of discard him just because you know, he's a guy that we don't think is you know necessarily going yeah, yeah, yeah. to do anything. But for a guy who's like, I think a 18th round pick or something like that. Yeah, Cal, uh, Cal Pauli Pomona. Yeah. Pomona? NAIA guy, I think. Yeah, he's a guy who's consistently hit home runs, worked his way up through the system. I mean, the guy got to the AAA and deservedly so. And so I just think He's a guy I co- I've covered, you know, doing the recaps for the last couple of years. So you, know, you kind of go attached to these guys a little bit, root for him. So you know, he's a guy I'm rooting for this year. Tyrone, I, I will say, having seen him in Double A last year, he's done some good things. He shortened up the swing a little bit. He had a really pronounced arm bar coming out of college. It's not as bad anymore. And he's got some raw, some raw pop. He sort of fits into that Dustin Lawley camp. But can't really play third base like Lawley can. But you know, a guy that could be a righty bat off the bench, fine. Right, Chris. I'm going with Johnny Manel. Uh, I live and work in the Bronx. He was born and raised in the Bronx. Yeah, yeah. So we had the, we had this conversation on the show a couple weeks ago. We were doing the catching preview. Yeah. So how, how do you refer, so, so it's Whitestone's own Mike Baxter. Okay. How do you properly refer to Johnny Manel? It was like. He's from he's from Pelham. Like, right. Uh, it said Pelham general. Parkway though. That's not right. an actual neighborhood. It's just Pelham. Johnny <coughs> Manel. Hmm. The, the pride of Pelham, I'd say. The pride of Pelham. <laughs> there you go. The pride of Pelham, Johnny yes. Manel. And uh, and if, if it goes well, the, the taking of, of Pelham one two three. Uh, you no know, one's, yeah, it's not going to catch out. You if he hits it, if he hits into a double play in the major leagues, I am getting that into the recap. It would have to be a one, two, three double play, which could happen. Well, if it was, I, I'd alter the numbers appropriately. I'd, right, yeah. I'd go to six, four, three. Six, four. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, Manel's my guy. I mean, he hits left-handed. We saw a little bit of what he can do with hitting for power. I think he's probably a very similar player to Anthony, Anthony Wrecker overall. Uh, he's just different. So, I apologize if he is not maybe as good, to, nice to look at from certain <laughs> angles, but that's my guy. To the surprise of literally no one, my pick here is Darren Gorski. I think he's 27 now. <laughs> and the fastball never really came back from the mysterious arm injury a few years ago. And he kind of went from Terry Collins. And it, it, this falls into like the Terry Collins says stuff in March category. We're definitely going to take a look at Darren Gorski as a, as a loogie. And then Darren Gorski never throws an inning on the Major League side of camp. You know, Dwayne Bellow and Chase Hutchinson threw innings on the Major League side of camp. No Darren Gorski, but he's starting in Vegas. Uh, and to be fair, it's not like it's a it's a loogie profile. And the Mets did trade for two lefties. They're now carrying three lefties. Uh, it's, it's there's no funk. It's a very easy delivery. Um, the changeup's a lot better than the breaker. So, but it's Darren Gorski. So here we are. Yeah, Darren Gorski's my guy. Some someday he might actually throw it in the majors, and I'll be happy. <laughs> so we'll move on to the defending Eastern League champs, the Binghamton Mets. Uh, so I would start with everybody, anybody else here, to be fair, but nobody's picking my guy, and I'm getting out of the way now. It's Gabriel Yanoa. I'm watching pitch right now on my tiny phone in front of the computer. I actually, as I did last week on the show, charted out when he would, if he would be pitching during when I'll see them in New Hampshire, which he will probably. 
which is great. I'm, I'm missing that series by a weekend. I will be there the previous weekend in Boston. Uh, I was hoping it would work out, but I won't be there this year. We'll miss uh, like a lot of hot Seth Lugo action, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. In addition to Gabriel Yanoa at all. But here's my argument, and it really hasn't changed since the 16, last 16 times I've discussed them on the podcast. Um, the slider looked good in the spring. It flashed you know, 55, 60. It's an easy low 90s. He can touch 95. I think he started to make adjustments at the end of last year. Right. <laughs> and despite throwing a full half season in the Eastern League last year, he's still the 10th youngest player in the league. And he's pitching a shutout right now on my phone. <laughs> so, Greg Karam, who do you got? Um, I left the field wide open for you. So. Well, I, I made no secret of my love of, or my expectation of Gavin Cicchini taking the next step this year. I, I just think that he's the fifth youngest player in the East. He is, yeah. He's, uh, you know, starting the same level as, as Brandon Nimmo. You know, he's a draft a year later. Uh, put together some nice numbers late last year. Uh, really... You know, control, controlling the strike zone, hitting for a little pop too. Uh, plays a solid shortstop, has decent range. Uh, you know, got to work on the hands a little bit, but um, I just think that uh, I'm just looking. I at thought you were reading off notes. For you <laughs> no, I don't have. I'm just looking at his face. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I think that he's a guy who um, I like, and I expect you know to break out this year. Chris McShane, uh, John Gant. Yeah, Johnny Gant is skipping over high A. He is. He had a very nice year in Savannah. He's still just 22. Uh, he'll be 23 in August. It's the age 22 season for accounting purposes. Yes, it is. And uh, I don't know. He's got the hair. He did grow the hair. He grew the hair back this year. Yes. If you look at his picture on uh, MILB.com, he's got... Yeah, he looks like Bronson Arroyo. He does have the Bronson Arroyo That's hair. That's what I yes. thought it was. At first. I got confused. He does, he does a little bit, but he's... I don't know. I, he's... He's one of a few players in the system whose dads who favorited my photo of him. <laughs> Minor league dads are great. They all follow me. His, Luigi Orme's. Yeah. I got uh, Rafael Ramirez's dad favorited something I, I tweeted recently. All right, yeah, the dads yeah. and the moms. Cam Marin's mom, I think it was, specifically. And some relative of Seth Lugo is following me now, too. <laughs> we, we, should, uh, we should send our best wishes to Danny Muno's mom. Yeah, yeah she's we, a Facebook follower of Mason Avenue, too. Yes. So yes. we know uh, there were some, you know, some medical issues there recently, but it sounded like, uh, you know, things could be okay. So Yeah, we yeah, wish our best to them. But, uh, but yeah, that's, Gant is my guy. Last year when I took a picture of his amazing hair, he cut it the very next day. I was a little disappointed. <laughs> Uh, but that, that didn't happen this year. He, he seems like he's keeping it. So. It's, it's a very aggressive assignment for him, too. And I liked uh, Gant, who was just outside my top 25 when I when I did this past off season. And I've always thought there's a little more velocity in that frame and that delivery, though it's very hitchy, and he's got some like weird, tweaky things going on. He like, taps his foot a bunch of times, like taps his glove. But, I mean, he's a big, strong kid. He can get more to, like, low 90s sitting as opposed to 88 to 91. He's got an advanced change, some feel for a breaking ball. You know, the double-A test is going to be big for him, but obviously they think at least there's enough there to skip him over high A. The, the advanced A rotation is very crowded right now. It's the advanced A roster is in general. And we will get there momentarily. We'll continue on with the double-A team. 
So surprising assignment or non-assignment here? Um, well, not to double up on what we were just talking about, but John Gant is obviously a very uh, surprising assignment because he's skipping high. Um, he had a solid year in, in Savannah, but he didn't think that he had done enough to... Um, you would think that if they, if they had designs on moving him to AA this April, they would have maybe pushed him harder to St. Lucie at some point at the end right. of last season. Right. So that was a little surprising. Uh, and like with everything, there's other considerations there. They want to get Savannah a championship and keep their best pitchers there or whatever. But For me, it's not really so much an assignment as it is a disappointment that Michael Fulmer is hurting. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I think he'll be there eventually. I don't know what the issue is that's keeping him as sort of the... He's on the Brooklyn DL right now, which is just a paper move, of course. But you know, I was I saw him in Savannah a few years ago, and there was certainly... I mean, he looked like a dude that was a totally cromulent supplemental round pick. Some potential in the breaking ball, sitting 92-94, big dude, innings eater type. He's just never... Just got to be healthy. Never stayed healthy. He tore his meniscus shoulder issues and I'm hoping maybe he's ready by uh, the end of the month when they see him. basically but... just said that he's a little behind because of the injuries from last year. Yeah, so... which always makes you nervous if he was shut down with a shoulder issue and then didn't throw for yeah. four to six months. So he had basically. a whole, whole offseason there. Yeah. yeah, so that's a little bit disappointing, I think. The double A, who's the game changer here? Who can really move up a prospect list with a good season? Um, can I go back to Cicchini or no? Cicchini is my choice here, so we can just talk about what he could do at, uh, yeah, what he can do at, uh, shortstop. And again, we're coming off a game where Wilmer Flores... Well, yeah, it's, 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 but the thing of it is, is that even going back to when he was drafted, it's like, oh, it's a, it's a low floor pick. You know, he's, got, he's, he's not, it's not sexy, it's not David Dahl, it's not Courtney Hawkins, it's not Lucas Giolito. And look, he hasn't been great. He had that great run in August in St. Lucie that I think earned him that promotion to Binghamton. But if he goes out, he's one of the fifth youngest player in the league. If he goes out and just holds his own, consolidates some gains, plays a decent shortstop, all of a sudden he's a couple months away and a team that desperately needs a shortstop. And... We're already sort of looking starry-eyed at, like, Matt Reynolds' empty 270 batting average and <laughs> potentially can throw the ball from shortstop to first base on a line. <laughs> so Chikini offers a little bit more than that. He doesn't offer a ton more than that. But, but if he goes out and has a good year, or if he goes out and in double year, A as one of the young shortstop, he's going to jump up some lists and, you know... It's not, it's not coming out of nowhere. He was a right. first-round pick. pick. He was a consensus first-round pick. Yeah. He's a 15 pick. I mean, come on. So it's, 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 Mets fans just have a weird relationship with, with Gavin Chikini. Right. It's because day one, they're like, ah, oh, this guy's, nah, he's kind of mad. They read the Baseball America scouting report. Yeah. Like, I know nothing about this person. This Baseball America scouting report, I don't love it. Right. <laughs> All right, who's your guy? You can pick Gavin Chikini a third time if you really want to. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'll stick with Nimmo because I love Nimmo. He's like he's my he's probably my favorite player in the system. Um, I'm rooting for him so hard. <laughs> he's tweaked his swing. Um, 
He's still one of my favorite players, so he's my guy. It's okay, I'm sticking with Gab Gabby Yanoa, who's about as high like a level of prospects I will accept, personally at least, for my dude. But he, he's, he's Gabby Yanoa. I, uh, I'm going back to personal experiences, but the Adderlin Rodriguez batting practice experience, that he's my guy. That's, I'm, I, I'm, I'm gonna, I have Periscope now. I'm going to Periscope that shit when I'm up there. Yes, it has yes, to be seen please. to be believed. Right. So I, I, I'm going to uh, take video of it, too. You need like the in-the-moment yeah, Adeline Rodriguez yeah, just hitting yeah, just bombs. To hear, to hear the, the sounds that it, it makes you make. So, you know, he's he's at a point where I don't know if he ever gets it, you know, if he ever really catches <laughs> on in any way. Not but really, no. just, just for that, that's my guy. Move on now to the ridiculous St. Lucie Mets, who have, <laughs> at last count, have 10 of the Amazing Avenue top 25 prospects for 2015, plus a bunch of guys that Greg likes too much. <laughs> if Rob was here, I would say the same thing. Especially guys on the top 25 that Rob likes too much. So who's your guy? Or, sorry, who's the, uh, who's the guy you're most excited about? Well, it's... It's too easy, but... You know, like when I'm recapping these games, I'm gonna be looking at what Ahmed Rosario. Is. You know, because he's the guy that has the most prospect. You know, sheen. Sheen. I think that's the word I was going for. And uh, you know, he's the guy that you're rooting for to do well. And uh, that's the guy I'm excited about. I don't know. You know, that's fine. Perfectly good choice. Chris McChain. I don't want to take yours because I, I have a strong feeling I know what it will be. It would be mine otherwise. Uh, so I'll say Champ Stewart. You know, it, it's kind of a guy who stands out. Uh, you know, he had a nice year last year. He has certain skills that very a few... good start. Two games. He, two, two games, good start, yes. And he has skills that a lot of very few players in the system and even on the Major League roster now have. Now, he's far enough away that we're... What's on the Major League roster right now isn't really relevant to what his arc is, but the guy's fast. He guy's really fast. Yeah, he's got an 80 on his uh, scouting card. He's, he's, yeah, he's, he's, he's a very so, good defender, too. So he's, you know, he, he might not be uh, as high-profile as some of the other guys there, but I, I think he might kind of make himself known this year. And, and Marcos Molina. Yeah. <laughs> well, Marcos Molina could have gotten guys out in St. Lucie last year. And I think he'll be fine this year. He's actually pitching tonight. We record this on Saturday afternoon. But it's just... Uh, you're always looking for sort of that next arm. And there's a gap now. Because Matt and Syndergaard are both probably going to age out this year. And sort of the guys behind them, Homer, Tapia, never really developed. So Molina's a guy that can move fast. You get into Binghamton in the second half of the year, it's going to be that next wave. I think that's going to be important for them, that pipeline of arms because you don't really look at it, but it's more of a pitching heavy, or, sorry, position player heavy system now than it was even 12 to 18 months ago. And there's not much behind Molina. I mean, I like Robert Gazelle. He's actually going to be my guy in a second. But he's more in that sort of like Rafael Montero back-end starter setup man type projection. He's got to have a few things go right for him. Uh, same with a guy like Luis Sessa, who's even, I think, probably another tier down from that. So, if Molina has a really good season and gets a double A, I mean, first of all, if that happens, he's a top 100 you know, global, right. which is a big deal. As bad as those mechanics are, I actually purposely watched 
a Tyson Ross start just to compare them to. I haven't watched one of them. It's also, a, I think it was a Dodgers home game, so I had been scully. But, yeah. you know, if you want to hang your hat on somebody for his mechanics, you know, Tyson Ross doesn't use his legs either. It's not quite as bad as Molina. <laughs> at least he strides a little bit. But, you know, it's, it's, he's a very good athlete. He repeats as well as you could hope for with that delivery. And we'll again, we'll see where we are on June 20th, basically. We're not even going to make sort of a pretense of discussing anything other for the most surprising assignment that I'm at Rosario. Right. Yeah, it's just not even close. Yeah, I mean, you can talk about him skipping Savannah, which isn't entirely accurate. So he went there for like a couple weeks. For one, <laughs> one five strikeout game. One five, one five strikeout game uh, before they sent him to Brooklyn <laughs> when short season opened. But this is an extremely aggressive assignment. Um, so Molina should be in St. Louis. Johan Urania is a guy with enough bat, present-day bat-to-ball that he should be able to handle it. Yep. yep. Ahmed Rosario does not really fit that category. No, but and we wouldn't think that he would deserve to go there just based on what we've seen so far and the results that he's put up. But I, I'm excited that he's being assigned there because it means that they see something more in him than, than is, has been apparent to everyone else. And it just, I think it reflects well on his status within the, the you know, system. They've always been very aggressive with me. You know, they assigned him to Kingsport right out of uh, his first full professional season. 17 years old. 17 years old. Um, and now they're skipping him over to, he's the youngest player in the league by a fair amount. And I, you know, look. My feelings on Ahmed Rosario have been restated yep. on the record on this show many, many times. But he isn't a big tools guy, so maybe he's his sort of natural baseball instincts play up a little more in, in, in St. Lucie. But that's a tough assignment. And he struggled with you know spin in the pen league. So you're talking about guys that have made it to full season ball, made it to advanced A. And the numbers in all likelihood are not going to be good. And I wonder if that's going to be something that people overreact to. Well, I mean, he is he's the youngest person in the league, right? Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, you got to take that with... I think he's the only ball. 96th birthday in there, and I have to double-check the Baseball America list. But. Hey, but, that said, if he does well, you know, that's exciting. It is, certainly. I mean, another guy, we can sort of sort of roll this into, like, sort of the game-changer, too. Because if he has a good season in St. Lucie as the youngest player in the league, yeah, you know what? I'm going to see him in the summer. I'll write it up, and I'll make him a global top 100 guy. But you get, he's got to do it. He's got, yeah. It's got to be there. And the, the stuff he showed me in, in, in Kingsport in Brooklyn, I don't see that happening. But again, he's 19. Right. That's a, a lifetime. Right. Literally in the nine months I've seen him, is basically a lifetime for that. Right. Right. So who's your guy in St. Lucie? <laughs> I'll be the Rob Castellanos uh, stand-in and go with Logan Taylor. Because, you know, I just, I still... You could have gone with a Kill Morris there, too, could, to be fair. He's not my guy. He's not here, so I'm not going to stand in for him. But, uh, yeah, Logan Taylor is a guy who had a really good run, had um, got hurt, came back last year, didn't really, you know, do what he was doing when he was, before he was hurt, but, you know, has a lot of potential and could be, uh, could be a guy who takes a uh, step forward. Chris, 
Going again with a, a personal anecdote sort of reason, uh, Jack McNeil, one of my best friends' last names is McNeil. I'd like, I'd like him to be able to buy a jersey. Have his name on the back. Yes. Uh, you know, there, there hasn't been a McShane in, in the system. Uh, there have also been no Paternostros in baseball. Uh, that's true. So, McNeil, uh, you know, he, he spent some time there last year. It didn't go as well as his time did in Savannah. But I'm rooting for him, so that's like my Jeff guy. McNeil. I've always liked Jeff McNeil. Yeah. We can also share genes. This is sort of the, the running joke on Twitter. <laughs> and him, the, Casey, Casey Meisner, they'll just be short genes. Yeah, yeah, I have to roll the cuffs. Right. <laughs> him, me, and uh, Carlos Tochi. The other the joke yeah. in Lakewood we see every year there. Uh, my guy's Robert Gazelman. No surprise there. So we can move on to Savannah. Uh, this is going to be brief. <laughs> yeah. So... What exactly happened here? Is this like a story that Savannah has? <laughs> well, it's because they, yeah, they sent everybody over. I mean, there's a couple of guys that they didn't promote to that might possibly be hurt or who knows. But you know, generally one tries to save the best things for last, like in multi-course meals, five-paragraph essays, and podcast segments. But we get stuck with a, a very tall roster, but a very thin one. Yeah, basically. So. so it, so, there's some things going on here. It's their last year in Savannah. They're going to move to Columbia. Um, they're going to be an affiliate for another year. They've generally... And this might not be a bad team. They've got a lot of older strike-throwing... I mean, college age. But, like, older... Areas, older strike-throwing guys. They should, be, they should be able to pitch a little bit. Yeah. Um, the, uh, the lineup is... Um, I mean, the only two, I think, top 25 names here are Becerra and Mike. So, yeah. Is this like a, what are they, why did this happen? <laughs> <laughs> you know, they haven't drafted some guys that can hit like this, you know, that, that would, like when you looked at the Brooklyn roster last year, there was no one hitting that was, you know, going to be on Savannah, and the guys that did hit, they're now in St. Lucie, you know, guys like Conforto, Urania, and Rosario, so what you were excited about was going to be the pitching staff, where you got Casey Meisner there. That's something to look at. And, you know, at least you have uh, Becerra there to kind of tide you over. And uh, Louis Guillorme is another guy you're excited about. I am excited about Louis Guillorme. He's got the glove, and uh, he drew four walks the other night. He walked again today. I'm a so. sucker. I'm a sucker for a guy who can draw a walk. So, so who's the guy you're <laughs> So we're really only excited about Casey Meitner and Wilmer Becerra. What's, what's going to happen here? Pretty much. Like, if, I, if I'm recapping these games, like, it's, yeah, those are the guy, names I'm going to be looking for. Um, yeah. So we'll just skip right to who's your guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, my guy is, uh, I'm sticking with John Mora, who's a guy who tore up the DCL a couple years ago and then was uh, tearing up the GCL last year before getting uh, bumped up to Brooklyn. And uh, he's a little bit older. I think he's maybe 21, 22 years old. But uh, well, you know, if you want to believe his uh, birth certificate, but oh, I think his birth certificate says he's older than that. But continue. <laughs> no, I mean, he's a guy who can draw a walk and he plays center field. So you know, he's a guy. He's my guy. Guy, Chris McShane. Uh, I'm going to go with co-guys, Wick and Prevost. Uh, the, 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 front court, the front court of the uh, yeah. Savannah pickup yeah. basketball I'm just, I'm team. I'm returning to the guys who can make me feel short theme from earlier. Uh, Syndergaard is certainly one. My, Miser actually would, would fit into that as well. But, but you know, he's he's not a my guy. He's he's, he's the, guy. the guy. He's, right. 
He is one of the two guys. So, yeah. Uh, I know last year's draft class kind of gets... It doesn't get a lot of love. I, I'm not I'm not making a case that it should, but it's just those are two guys from it. Uh, you know, saw them pitch a couple times from Brooklyn last year. Not that they blew me away or anything, but I'm rooting for them. I'm, I'm going to be kind of looking at their names yeah. after the other, you know, the, the big two. Uh, those are guys who I'm curious to see what they can do this year. So my guy is Luigi Arme. As, you know, spoiler alert. Yeah. Um, I love incredibly good shortstop defense. And while I think Rosario should have been assigned there, and, you know, Guillaume playing second base four days a week, shortstop two days a week, yeah. I'm not sad that there will be lots of Guillaume playing shortstop gifts available on the internet. Yeah, there you go. That's something. Yeah. So we'll take a break now. That is your minor league Mets preview. When we come back, Ted Berg of USA Today will join the show. Talk about, well, unsurprisingly, Ted Berg things. <laughs> Joining the show now, he is a writer at USA Today, curator of embarrassing photos of Cole Hamels, Taco Bell ombudsman, former host of the Mostly Mets podcast, and most germane to our purposes, librettist for the small sample size song, Ted Berg. Welcome to the show. Jeff, thanks for having me. As we all know, the Mets are 2-2, two and two, so 81 and 81? Yeah, it seems right. That's, that's <laughs> a fair way of doing it, I think. You know, it's the best, it's the best, uh, it's the best examples we have. That's all we know. So, Mets fans, including... Hosts and co-hosts of this podcast are panicking after four games of Wilmer Flores. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I look. It's that's ridiculous. Obviously, that's ridiculous. Right? Sure, obviously, it's four ab- games exactly. Is nothing, it's ridiculous. But so then, it's not meaningful in any way, shape, or but form. But at the same time, right? I mean, there's there's a lot more than four games to say that Wilmer Flores is not really a major league defender at shortstop. And so I think it's a, it's confirmation bias. You can be like, oh, I just threw four balls away last night. Five, Obviously, I think, five actually. balls, whatever it was. <laughs> Obviously, he's not a defender at shortstop. That's not why. But the the fact that like every single scout for the last seven years or however long it's the fact been, that they moved him off like, shortstop. Oh, yeah, in this the guy is State not League. a shortstop. Like he's a first baseman. He's a he's the first shortstop I've ever heard of without the range to play left field. Right. <laughs> and so that like, there's like no question that he can not play left field. And to me, that should be the giveaway, right? He's got the arm to play the outfield, so if you can't move a guy from shortstop to left field, he probably shouldn't be playing shortstop. Is that fair? Is that absurd? I I mean, the best quote I ever got, I think it was actually playing third base at the time, it was in Binghamton, it was a Mets scout, and we're watching him. And it's like two or three innings into a game, completely unsolicited, he's like, Wilmer Flores made like a routine play at third, and he looks at me and goes, yeah, he's a first baseman for me. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I mean, he actually looks a lot better now than he did when he was, I don't know if you remember when he was like 19 in his first go oh, yeah, around in Savannah, you know, but it was just limbs, like limbs in all sorts of weird directions. And I've said it, it's, it's he has worked his ass off to be a very bad Major League shortstop. And that's great. It and is. for him. And again, like I still think he'll hit better than he has. Uh, and maybe hit ma- uh, like a major leaguer. Uh, you know, he's what are he? Twenty three. He's it's still well within the cards for him to be a major league player. Which I mean, I just can't. I don't know. I, I have to see more than however many games he played last year worth of sample to believe that he's a major league shortstop. 
So a small sample size Mets, can, Mets fans can get excited about. Matt Harvey. Uh, again, I mean, it's a small sample, but it's an awesome one, right? I mean, that, that, that I'm buying. I'm buying Matt you're buying Harvey. Matt, you're buying Matt Harvey. I'm going buying out Matt Harvey. And, and, and again, like, you know, I'm a top guy for saying spring training doesn't matter. You know, we saw what, like, Ike Davis leads spring training in home runs seven years in a row or something. <laughs> Butch Husky hit 11 home runs one year. Uh, but, man, like, what did, Harvey had 22 strikeouts and one walk this spring. He was 26 to one. Whatever it is, and he's throwing 97, and the breaking stuff all looks good. Why not, right? And, and I think, I think what we miss with Harvey, and I'm sure you don't, but a lot of people miss is everybody thinks, oh, like, well, the the timing down process. Sometimes it's a long, it's, it takes a while. He's not going to be. He's got the whole extra six months because we're having it at the end of the year. Regardless, Matt Harvey is also not human. No, yeah, and that's the other thing. Yeah, he's off the charts. And again, you're looking at spring training stats. It's not meaningful. But like Matt Harvey looks like Matt Harvey. Right. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And he looked like Matt Harvey from the moment he grabbed the ball, which is sweet. So, small sample size theater. A man we're both very, very familiar with. Jeff Francoeur is on pace for 33 home runs and 120 RBIs this year. For My the favorite. My favorite. My favorite. Because this is going to happen, right? It's going to last long enough for. For maybe for Philly to give him like a three-year contract extension, <laughs> and then and then he'll go back to being Jeff Franco. Or like the Phillies will hover around 500 until like mid-May, and everybody will be like, "Ah, oh, the Phillies aren't so bad." Jeff Franco, man, he's still young. He's still only 30. You know, because it's always he's still young. He's got that great arm and the smile, and then he can't. He just swings. He swings too much. Uh, this this spring for like the 11th straight for the record, time, he's 31. He's 31. <laughs> Which still makes me feel. And really old. once again, he said, "Like this spring, I'm really focused on having better plate discipline, not swinging all the time." And if you look, at, and I used to curate this information as well. He has said that every <laughs> single spring of his major of his professional career, he's like, "This time, I'm going to walk more this year. I'm going to." He can't do it. It's sad. <laughs> it's 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 actually kind of depressing. Because you think, like, oh, people can change. You know, we have these options well, to not swing. He does not have that So option. if you look at, like, aging patterns for major leaguers, um, you know, they tend to, as they age, you know, they walk a little bit more, and they strike out a little bit more, their batting average on balls and play goes down because the bat speed goes down. They'll hit a few more home runs because they can right. throw power. And Jeff Francoeur has done all of those things except walk more. <laughs> yeah, he's not, it's not going to happen. It's just, him. no, it's not. And then even the spring, I don't know, I think the spring, I don't think he walked at all after saying, like, I'm going to walk more this year. And like I made another, I made another concerted effort. Like this is it, guys. Like I can lay off the curveball, and no, it's not gonna happen. But it's, it's gonna be great for six weeks. And he's a really nice guy. Yeah, that's I like mean, we really like, have to stress that. It nice, is and the and nicest like, guy. In the it's world. always hilarious to see like how every like beat writer was basically congratulating him on Twitter for making the film. You can't help it. He's he. I mean, I'm serious. He took naked batting practice. He's an engaging dude, and you meet him, and you you can't help but like the guy. And so I think like that's a thing that happens, and maybe that's unfortunate. And like I when I was. When he was on the team, I was like pretty conscious to not talk to him because I didn't want to fall into that trap. But you could see how good of a dude he is and why people root for him. And I mean, the guy's got a, a heck of a future in politics or, or analysis, like whatever he wants to go into. But it's not. I mean, come on, it's not. It's not being a major leaguer. Not uh, not a productive one. Odds Jeff Francoeur hits a ridiculous home run off Alex Torres somehow sometime in the next. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. And then, and then, like there will be that like fifteen percent of Mets fans are like, "No, why did they trade Jeff Francoeur? They only got was Joaquin Arias. Can you believe it? He's got a better arm than Curtis Granderson too in right field. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, but no, he is. 
He's the best. Uh, James K. at Amazing Avenue had one of my favorite posts ever was pointing out that Rod Barajas, whenever he joined a new team, his first, like, 50 to 100 at-bats, he was like, the best player in the world, yeah. and he called him, like, Rod Barajas, king of the firm handshake, and I feel like that <laughs> extends to Jeff Rancor. Like, Jeff Rancor shows up somewhere, and it's like, pitchers forget, because he's in a new uniform. They're like, ah, maybe I can get a fastball by this guy, <laughs> and I've never seen him before, and then, like, and then they spend, like, a month doing that, and they're like, maybe we should maybe we should mix it up, throw some balls off the plate to this guy, see what happens, and then yeah, he uh, strikes out and it falls apart. <laughs> I mean, even even last year when he was with uh, with Tucson in the San Diego organization, like he didn't, he wasn't necessarily good, but he came in and pitched and had that great viral video about him not knowing his teammate was dead, which was amazing. Like, and even when he's not contributing at the major league level, he's contributing something and to that's, baseball. That's the best we can get of Jeff Francois. Like, I, it's almost like he should be like a bench coach or a bullpen catcher or one of these roles where he's around and we can appreciate him, but he. He's not actually playing, playing <laughs> baseball, right? Like, yeah. But a perfect, perfect, perfect player for the 2015 Phillies. So you're, of course, well known for the small sample size song, and it's you have my, you have delved it's my in, number one hit. You have delved into the, the, the small sample size minutia. What's your favorite small sample size like? Oh, it's fast. that Emilio Bonifacio has like twice started the season nine for ten or something. <laughs> I, I don't know if you. There's like been two separate beginnings of the season where Emilio Bonifacio for like three games has been impossible to get out and then he reverts to being Emilio Bonifacio. The second, Do you have a favorite? Favorite small sample size? Um, I think it was like just coming off the... I remember it very distinctly. I was very young. But the Tuffy Rhodes three home run game to start Classic. the season. Everyone's like, Tuffy Rhodes has put it together and he was in Japan next year. You know, but I gotta say, because I wrote about this this year, Tuffy Rhodes... Really good in Japan, legitimate, oh, yeah, yeah. and really good throughout the minors. Like yeah. I, that's a guy. I feel like if it were, if it were 2014, 2015, when Tuffy Rose was around, he would have gotten a much longer look in the major leagues, and maybe like probably wasn't going to be a great player, but maybe a long and productive major league career as like a as a bench bat. You know? There was also, I think, those like first two Pedro starts in like 2003, where he got hit around, hit around a bit, and like, oh, Pedro's on the downside of his career now, and then he pitched for another seven years. Well, and like Albert Pujols had a slump one time yeah. during yeah. like 2007 when he was the best player. Like, what has happened, to Albert Pujols? He's really 47 years old, <laughs> and no, he was going back to being Albert Pujols and having like a perfectly typical aging curve for a guy of his age, yeah. uh, which I know to be 35, for he is almost exactly one year older than me. That one, I'm going to get right. So the thing you are second most famous for is creating an incredible collection of Cole Hamels photos. I'm very proud of that one. So yeah. Cole Hamels has been like a, a major topic this past offseason and coming into the season. There's a lot of trade rumors around Cole Hamels and what's Cole Hamels worth. So outside of the entertainment value that Cole Hamels has brought you over the years, and all of us really, um, is he getting like underrated? I kind sort of like the. I mean, I kind of think so. I think. Community. I mean, he's been he's been healthy and really good for a really long time now. And like the goofiness aside, he's a really good pitcher, and he's done it in a really bad park for pitchers for a long time. And without much of a team around him, you know, not that that matters all that much, but uh, yeah, he's awesome. He's a he's got to be a top ten pitcher in the majors, right? And I looked, uh, yeah, I looked it up. He was basically I mean, top ten by FIP. You know, if you right go now. back, if you it depends on how big you're you're looking. If you're going five years, yeah, definitely top ten. I mean, the last few years, a bunch of guys have come through and lit up the league. And there's Matt Harvey and stuff. But I mean, but you're talking career. No comparison between Hamels and Harvey. Hamels is a he's a great major league pitcher. I mean, he's a 
if he does this four or five more years, he's a he's a Hall of Famer. I talked about this with Rocher a little bit on the Phillies feeder, but he has going to have that like a stealth Hall of Fame case where he's going to get to around maybe two hundred with a normal decline, around two hundred wins, and a and a really good career, and and two hundred wins for in this a guy era. who yeah in this era, and now on a bunch of crappy teams until he gets traded, you yeah. know. Uh, yeah, I think he's. I mean, I think that the Red Sox seems almost too obvious for him, right? That's the thing is, it's like, like the Red Sox. It, it, it's like a media story that he's going to go to the Red Sox. Right? It is, but it lines up so well because they it have the sense. team that's built to contend. They have a ton of prospects, major league ready prospects who they don't have room for, uh, and they don't have that pitcher, right? Like it's uh, Rick Porcello and Wade Miley are going to be your guys. In, They're paying in, Rick Porcello. Right? They Either. are, they are, but that's not that's not your number one guy to start a Joe Kelly with. got yeah, shelled today. Yeah. Or something. It's not. They don't have. They have a bunch of decent innings eaters and like definite major leaguers, but there's no. They don't have that guy in the rotation, and Hamels could be that, you know. The Clay Buckles when he's not like covered in whatever jelly he puts on oh, his body yeah, before weird, he gross things and like <laughs> ugly facial hair. Yeah. So, I notice your T-shirt. I'm wearing a Bartolo Colon T-shirt. I mean, this, where this is not on. This is. Uh, is this on? It's right on video right there. Oh well, there we go. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> so we're talking about as far as like entertainment value. Is there any? My better? hair okay? Because I, I have no idea. <laughs> I've got what do you mean? You're sitting right on. here. All right. <laughs> Bartello Cologne, entertainment value. He's an 80. He's an 80. He's an 80, yeah. An 80, yeah. Uh, yeah, great. Also, I, like, under- there's a whole story around him, like, pitching opening day, and people freaking out about it, and all the back pay to the post, like... But it's just like... like First I feel all, like he does... I've heard some great stories about him, too, that I can't share on air. <laughs> but... It's just he's just one of those guys. Like, he just doesn't give a shit. He is unflappable. He's just happy else. to be yeah. here and awesome. And he awesome. shows up and it's like, yeah. The opening day thing. He's basically just like me. Jerry yeah. from Parks and Rec. First of all, he just, like, yeah. shows up. <laughs> right. And and first of all, like who are you that you're not gracious for Bartolo Colon starts every time they happen, regardless of when they happen. Second, you're trying to limit Harvey and Degrom's anyway, right? So why not start Bartolo Colon on opening day? Dude, the guy is awesome. Like he's so fun to watch. You know, and and you saw the way he pitched. He was great. He was great. Well, you're not going to get that out of you. Didn't get that out of Jacob Degrom his first start, right? I, I don't know. I think that Bartolo Colon is so weird. Like every part about his game is so weird that we almost underrate how weird of a pitcher he is and how good of a pitcher. this guy throws 90% fastballs. If you looked at that opening day start, he didn't miss the glo- he missed the glove maybe four times. One of them was the, was the Harper homer, uh, where you could see he missed his spot. And you could see from his face, like, he just, like, kind of turned around. Like, yeah, I'm Bartolo Colon. This is what happens to me sometimes. Like, every once in a while, a guy's going to hit a ball 440 feet, you know, because I'm going to miss. But then, like, every every pitch, even the and, the, and he's got the two-seamer. It was cutting back. It was, like, Greg Maddox pitch, like, kind of coming back to the glove every time. I don't know, he's awesome. I, I don't understand why anyone years would old. not like... Hey, 41 years old. And, and remember, I remember I saw him pitch. I was in, in Salt Lake City. And I saw him pitch, it was 2006? 2006? Yeah, 2006. And it was after he had won the Cy Young and blown out his arm. And I saw him get torched in a AAA rehab start. And we were laughing about it. We were like, Bartolo Colon. Because at the time, he was a guy who, if you were like a, a sabermetric leaning fan, you were mad that Bartolo Colon won the Cy Young. They beat Johan Santana right, that year. Right, and, and, and it was like, it was like a, we were taking some satisfaction in Bartolo Colon getting rocked in AAA. And I thought his career was over, and that was ten years ago. 
and now he's good. <laughs> People always like, oh, well, there's clearly going to be like a spot opened up in the rotation because Bartolo Colon is going to get traded or be ineffective. And it's just going to be Bartolo Colon. Yeah, I could get a contract. Look at a major league deal next year somewhere. Why wouldn't it? Why he wouldn't can, he? He can pitch well and be a qualifying offer candidate. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's good. He's good. He's. I. I don't know how he does it. Right. I don't understand. Honestly, you look at like a guy like Rafael Montero, who obviously also has real good command, uh, and a fastball moves five miles an hour faster than Cologne's, and you say, like, man, like, why doesn't everybody do this? Like, why can't everybody learn how to be Bartolo Cologne? And I guess there's obviously just some skill to it that other people don't have, because he is the only guy who's succeeding with 90% fastballs. So cover small sample size. Cover Jeff Francoeur. Cover Cole Hamels. Cover Bartolo Cologne. That's it. That's all I. That's no, we all got I a know. Taco Bell. Okay, yeah, so that's my Taco last, Bell that's my breakfast. Last dish. Um, are you are you pro or are you con? Have you gone for the? Are you a breakfast defector? Uh, I have not tried the new biscuit chicken thing yet, which I am very intrigued by. I did get there to try. So Taco Bell. See, I think a lot of people made a big story out of the chicken on a biscuit taco, whatever they're calling it, the bisque taco or the taco biscuit or something. I don't know. I don't know what hybrid Taco Bell word they've come up with for it. But the bigger story to me is the new Taco Bell protein, which is the fried chicken, which has never been available before. And I tried that, and that's pretty good. So I'm, I'm bullish on the biscuit itself. Uh, the rest of the Taco Bell breakfast I have found largely disappointing, because to me it is... So, you know, they're advertising like it's this radical shift. And, like, from... breakfast tacos are a good thing. I mean, oh, New York City tacos. Yeah. Oh, like breakfast tacos. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Like you go to Austin, you can have an unbelievable breakfast taco. I'm for that. I feel like, in general, though, the Taco Bell breakfast is too much breakfast and not enough Taco Bell. Like, I want more <laughs> zesty pepper jack sauce yeah. on my on, and cheesy, melty things. You know, not just basically a, an Egg McMuffin jammed into a taco or, or wrapped up in a Crunchwrap thing. So what are you, what's your recommendation? The fried chicken is an option. Now? I would what try to. I would that try. In? Yeah, I mean, put it in though. Um, you can like mix and match a taco. Well, I mean, I'm intrigued by the biscuit taco thing. Just sure. I have, but I haven't. I can't recommend that. I can't put my name on that yet. I haven't had it. But uh, that would be. I would go for breakfast. Yeah. Or if you want to just enjoy the most taco belly thing, it would probably be that waffle taco. Yeah. yeah. Which again, like underwhelming. I found underwhelming. It's. I. Uh, I don't know. You know what? Like as as. Low brow as my fast food tastes might be, I think that like Taco Bell eggs is like right at that line that I'm not eager to cross. You know, I'm willing to eat almost anything that that they'll serve there, uh, and I don't shy away from most fast food places. But eggs at Taco Bell is not like the number one thing I'm looking to eat. That seems reasonable. Yeah. So we'll let you go with this. You are now. A national sports writer. That's right. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm World big traveler, deal. sandwich expert. So I want I want two sandwich recommendations from you. One locally, New York City, or one of the five boroughs, or, and one that you've had on your on your travels. Uh, New York City. I have obviously tons. Uh, are you talking any any neighborhood at all? Yeah, sure. Something you've had recently. Maybe. Uh, well, I love in general. They're they're expanding. Uh, Num Peng, which is a there used to be a Cambodian restaurant downtown that I loved, and it went away, and my wife and I were so upset about it that we started planning a trip to Cambodia, <laughs> which actually happened, because like, basically we went to Cambodia because the food was so good at this place, and then those those people started up this sandwich chain, Numpang, 
real good. Uh, it's like kind of like it's basically a banh mi, but like a little bit of a and everything there is good. It's a, just a slight variation on the banh mi. The other one, and, and this would be more of my sleeper pick, uh, and I can't think of the specific sandwich's name off the top of my head, but it's a place called. Uh, it used to be called Cafe Olin, O L L I N. It now has a new name, and again, I don't know that. It is on, I believe, 108th Street between First and Second uh, in East Harlem. And if you look up Cafe Olin on Google, you'll find the new name of the place. There's a sandwich that has, like... And fried steak is kind of a common theme oh, for really sandwiches really I enjoy. Really? Yeah, uh, really. Um, Isn't your review of uh, the yeah. breaded steak now in the window at Rickaby? Uh, <laughs> yes, it is. Um, so it has, like, but it has, like, black beans and fried steak and, and like, white cheese and just everything. There's everything is on this torta uh, or samita. I think they offer both. And that is that is one of my favorite sandwiches in the city. And I think a place that probably doesn't get it's weird, you know these these you see these like top 500 sandwiches in New York City lists, and to me they're I mean they're BS. I think that a lot of that is internet hype, and I know I've partaken in that to some extent, but I think that uh, a lot of times, and I've had this experience as a sandwich writer. When you're writing about sandwiches, you you sway towards the ones that are more interesting. And the things that, oh, I can say something interesting about the sandwich. And, and so that makes it good uh, more than the actual taste and texture of the sandwich. So that is the that is the trap you fall into when you're reviewing sandwiches. And I, can, I have that experience. Uh, so to me, honestly, also like the most, the best sandwich in New York City, really, is, is the best Chicken Parm Hero. The Chicken Parm Hero from wherever your local best pizzeria is. It's incredible. It's incredible. And it's just everybody sleeps on it because they're like, oh, I want to go to this place with artisanal ham downtown. And, and you get one slice of ham and fig jam, and they call it like a wonderful sandwich. Go have a chicken parm, and that's 100 times better. Uh, nationally, well, you mentioned the Rico Benny sandwich, which is my favorite sandwich in the world. Uh, it's a breaded steak sandwich. It's, a, it's, like a, it's like a veal parm hero uh, but the best one you've ever had. And the, the difference maker there is the Jardinera, which is like a pickled uh, vegetable relish. It's real spicy. Uh, I'm trying to think of other good sandwiches I've had nationally. Oh, uh, in Oakland. With Berkeley. Like on the Berkeley-Oakland border, there's a place called Bake Sale Betty's. And it's just a fried chicken sandwich with a, like a jalapeno coleslaw. And it's super fresh and hot and good. And that is a fried order. Uh, I don't think it's actually fried to order because they only make one thing. <laughs> so, yeah, so like they have cookies and stuff, it's a bakery. Yeah, yeah. Um, but everything is like the, the bread is fresh, the chicken is fresh, everything is uh, ready for you. You don't have to wait a long time, but it's, it's real, real good. That's another one. That's like a destination sandwich. Like if you're in San Francisco, it's worth finding your way across the bridge for the Big Sale Betty sandwich. Ted Berg, USA Today, national sports writer. That's right, yeah. <laughs> Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. Welcome back. Now it's time for your emails. Sort of. Before we do emails, we do housekeeping. It's the Mason Avenue Audio, episode 113. Mason Avenue Audio is the official podcast of your SB Nation New York Mets site, Mason Avenue. You can find us on the internet at mazenavenue.com 
Follow us on Twitter or Instagram at Amazing Avenue. Join our Facebook group at facebook.com backslash Amazing Avenue fans. You can find the podcast on iTunes. Just search for Amazing Avenue Audio and you can listen and subscribe right there. I encourage you to do both. I also encourage you to rate and review the podcast. Find the podcast on the Stitcher app. Download directly from blogtalkradio.com backslash Amazing Avenue or listen to the embedded player that goes up in the podcast post at Amazing Avenue proper. I'm your host, Jeffrey Paternostro. You can find me on Twitter at Jeff Paternostro. My co-hosts this week are Greg Karam and Chris McShane. You can find on Twitter at Greg Karam and at Chris McShane. Our guest this week was Ted Berg from USA Today. You can find him on Twitter at OG Ted Berg. That was the housekeeping. These were your emails. Before we get into the emails, seven shutout innings for Gabriel Yanoa. That's all I got to say about that. My guys, FTW. You can email the podcast at podcast at amazingavenueaudio.com. Before we, I do have a couple emails and the IFK Gothenburg update. Before we do that, I will open it up to the floor for any questions. They can come up and speak into the mic, which I will turn around because I have a setting that has it. All right, so through four games, if this is Wilmer Flores' floor, how many shortstops in the Mets system have a higher floor than this? So I feel like, technically speaking, this is the part of the podcast where I put in the jingle. (laughs) Yes. But because I've had a couple cocktails, my cocktails, I mean beers, I am half tempted to do the jingle live. (laughs) We're here. Now, the question becomes, do I actually remember the words to the updated jingle? (laughs) Which is questionable. But I'll give it a shot. (laughs) I'm so glad the camera ran out of battery before this is actually happening. So it won't be on video. Also because I put on a ridiculous sweater in between this segment, or the previous segment and this one. (sighs) Addison Russell is probably not available. Yes, it's Shortstop Avenue Audio. One of the Ramirai, a little bit pie in the sky. May give you Tulo a try. It's Shortstop Avenue Audio. I think I've forgotten the rest of it, actually. <laughs> Somebody help me out that listens to the show. No, Gregorius is in the first version. No. I know there's Brad Miller, but that's in the outro. I don't remember this. This is riveting radio, too, I'm sure. <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah, okay, I remember now. Okay. Should I take it from the top and just like edit this out later, probably? <laughs> we're going to do that. Addison Russell is probably not available. Yes, it's Shortstop Avenue Audio. One of the Ramirai, a little bit pie in the sky. Maybe give Tulo a try. It's Shortstop Avenue Audio. Now Owings is one to admire. Just please don't stop at Kadire. Since they got it all wrong, I've had to update the song. For Shortstop Avenue Audio. Higher floor. So not ceiling, but floor. I mean... Look, Wilmer Flores has been bad. He's looked bad. He hasn't hit in about a half season of Major League at-bats or thereabouts. He looks bad at the plate. He looks overmatched by Major League velocity. He's lunging at things. And when I saw him in Binghamton a, a few years ago, it was like, it was really easy weight transfer, like a guy that was going to hit 
270 with a little pull power and just I think they can get him right but this is a team that wants to compete this year and I don't get the impression that Terry Collins is particularly enamored with Wilmer Flores um, based on his like, behavior last year when both Flores and Tejada were on the roster and what goes along with that and the, you know even in spring saying Tejada is competing for a job which is not something you should really be saying in spring um, given that you did nothing else in the offseason to make improvements there the indication would be you would go with Wilmer Flores I mean I think Matt Reynolds could come up and do a job but you know looking forward for the next six to nine months the problem the problem is if you're not going to go with Tejada every day and try to you know get the empty OBP fringy defense at short and just sort of make do as him as your eight slash nine hitter depending on whoever is making up the lineup decides they're going to make the lineup that way that day there's just not present day option I mean Wilfredo Tovar so we'll bring up Tovar here too he can definitely pick it and if you want to go defense only but now we're talking about like an empty 240 batting average if that Flores is starting tonight sounds like they're going to give him a blow tomorrow for Tejada against the lefty which I mean if Tejada goes one for three with a walk what happens after that it's Terry Collins I don't know what the answer to that is but you know they've they sort of made their their choices and they're stuck with Flores, Reynolds, or Tejada for the foreseeable future. I think that you're seeing like the worst case scenario. Yeah, this is this with, is just like Flores get into the bomb out. shelter now. It's playing out right in front of us, and it, it, it like especially last night, it just was. It and was it not was a great. bad game. It, it, like that can happen to. I mean, we've seen Daniel Murphy have games like that. I know, <laughs> and Daniel Murphy comes back and is a bad but acceptable second base. Right. But none with, of this, none of this should surprise us, though, you know, right? All the reports on Flores is that he's not a well, it's mostly range based, but he's not a good shortstop. Well, he can't throw. That's a whole like that's a whole another. That's thing. a whole another thing, right? Um, but not hitting is not something that's been new, at least in the majors. Yeah. You know, so it's again, you get in that situation where you don't want to be in a baseball prospectus article in August when you're looking at who's kind of in contention that's given too many at bats to replacement below replacement level players, and it's at shortstops. And you're just kind of like, well, they're two games out of a wild card spot, and Wilmer Flores is still hitting 240 with bad defense. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember how to end Shortstop Avenue audio. I, I don't know how. Addison Russell on the front end. I'm trying to remember who it is on the back end now. I, if, if this ever comes up and I'm listening, I just. Starlin Castro was also in the original version, but I don't think it's Starlin Castro either. Oh, it's Francisco Lindor. I may have actually flipped Lindor and Russell for this one, but he's probably not available. Francisco Lindor is probably not available. This has been Shortstop Avenue Audio. The Mariners' Brad Miller, a dollar per war killer, or merely just podcast filler on Shortstop Avenue Audio. Now, nothing will ruin the Muda like Flores to Murphy to Duda. And I don't really mean to be Ruda, but I'm tired of Shortstop Avenue Audio. So that's enough song for today. Wait, why didn't they just keep Jose? We'll be back next week anyway. With more Shortstop <laughs> Avenue audio. We have an email from Andrew. It's not really a question. He's just really chiding us for uh, 
some answers we've had to questions in the past. Hey guys, love the podcast. I listen while I'm walking dogs in the Upper East Side and when I'm out on tour with my band, neither of which are situations that typically cater to Mets fans. I think the only Met you're allowed to talk about in the Upper East Side is the Met. I was actually just on the Upper East Side uh, yesterday to check out a new cocktail bar that was excellent. Seamstress on uh, East 75th. Very good. Thanks for filling my old school WFAN void. Is that a backhanded compliment or gaming with faint praise? I don't know how that works exactly. Yeah, I'm going with backhanded on that one. All of that being said, you've had two very Heilman-esque blowings of games recently that need to be addressed. I'll state the correct answers and leave it at that. So we had a question about what Mets wrestler would you want to be in a uh, triple threat match with Chipper Jones and Ryan Howard? And I think uh, Steve ended up going with... He had a good one, and I don't remember who it was. Oh, a Turk Wendell. Okay. That's good. The Turk Wendell looks like a guy that's been in He's been in fights. Crocodile okay. teeth. Yeah. yeah. But he thinks it should be Mike Piazza. And like Mike Piazza look I just I don't know about Mike Piazza in a bar fight. I'm going Ty Wigginton. Oh, I didn't think of Ty Wigginton. That's actually a good one. Uh, like Ty Wigginton looks like he would just fight you. <laughs> for no reason. Like it doesn't have to be like <laughs> You can participate in the uh, questions. Gary Shipfield. Gary Shipfield. Well, Kevin Mitchell, I was I was tried for not picking Kevin Mitchell wow. because I just don't see him as a Met, though, is the problem. Okay. <laughs> Gary Sheffield. Yeah. yeah, I mean, Anthony Brecker looks like he could... Say he's a pretty... We, I thought about Anthony Brecker. He's too much of a pretty boy. I feel like he's, he's too much... Dude. He is a big dude. I feel like he's too much of a pretty boy. John Stern. John Stern. Any big catchers. Nolan Ryan. It's kind of we would take them in their physical prime. Right. Yeah. I feel like Nolan Ryan would be willing to, willing to throw down, definitely. Well, Matt, Matt Hardy. Wally Backman will never give up. Yeah. Wally Backman was a Rocky Balboa. Yeah. Matt Hardy would never step down from anybody. Like, I was thinking of that time that... Matt, I see... Who's the reliever who threw, who dumped the water on him? John Roush. who's like, out... Yeah, and he got huge. right up in his face. He was going to, like, slam dunk him into something. You know what I mean? So the other... We had the Mets pet question. I will oh, say uh, uh, that I will say the Wilmer yeah. Yoris as the for yeah. Wilmer Flores was very good. That was not bad. that was very good. But he thinks it should be Bat Harvey. Like, what are you get Matt Harvey a bat for? The only this ends with because it's the Mets that ends with Matt Harvey getting rabies. <laughs> that is how that story ends. What, what was the original question? If you could give a pet to any Met. Oh, it was that. Well, because it was, it was infi- inspired by Cat Lathos. Oh. Matt Lathos' cat, Cat Lathos. Okay. Ah, uh, okay, okay. So we couldn't really repeat. Our next email is from Stuart. Dear Mr. Paternostro and... Well, it says insert assorted co-host here. It's Greg and Chris. This season has been the first in a while you've not had a Japanese player on the Mets. Do you think the Mets will try and sign a player from Nippon Professional Baseball next offseason? And who would you want it to be? Thanks, Stuart. Go Carp. Who I assume is a Hiroshima flying carp fan and not a night carp fan. <laughs> you never know. Lasting's Millage. Yes. <laughs> it's got to be Lasting's Millage. Yeah, it will always much. be Lasting's Millage for me. I mean, they're not signing, like, Kenta Maeda or who's, like, the crazy, ridiculous. They're not signing anyone who costs money. Yeah. <laughs> but there's, like, the next big pitching arm who also is hitting, like, 280 in the league right now. But there was a young guy who's, who's coming out... But he didn't come out last year. Really. No, that's Kenta Maeda, who's yeah, not actually that, uh, not, that good. not that young. I, I, uh, I defer to Steve Saipa on... And Steve, a- Steve said he was going to be here, and now he's not here. So yeah. I can't... Any wrestling or Japanese baseball questions, I guess, are off limits. Is Nick Evans in uh, the Japanese 
I think he's back uh, he stateside now. He was. He, oh, he? He, the funny thing is, he like took Zach Lutz's spot oh, really? on the team that Zach Lutz went to, which seems very appropriate. Oh, yes. But he was only there for like a few games. Those are your emails. Of course, you can email the podcast at podcast at amazingavenueaudio.com. And we will wrap things up with our IFK Gothenburg update. Rolls on. Since we have adopted it, still undefeated. 2-0 win against uh, away to Urbro SK on Wednesday. Goals from Emil S- Salamanson. Salamanson? Sal... Salamanson. Good luck with that. And, of course, pos- podcast favorite, Las Abibay. He opened his account in the Allsvenskan uh, Liga there. Big game tomorrow, actually. Yeah. Which you'll already know the result, too, if you're listening to this. Uh, they're home against defending league champions Malmo FF. 11.30 a.m. kickoff Eastern Standard Time at the Gamlo Levy. And we do have an update on the whole sabermetric soccer thing from last week's show. And unsurprisingly, Greg Karam is confusing Northern European countries again. <laughs> they all so play have, <laughs> so We have an update from Anders, our man on the ground in Gothenburg. Regarding the conversation on the last podcast, I have not heard of any teams in Sweden using advanced stats yet. There are, however... I'm going to let you pronounce this, Greg, since you screwed it up. <laughs> Come on, that's too many syllables. <laughs> I think it's uh, Midgillen yeah. in Denmark. Midgillen? Midgillen in Denmark. It's actually the same owner of the team. Uh, we mentioned Brentford. It's the same owner uh, from Midgillen. They're doing that. And uh, AZ Alkmaar in Holland have uh, teamed up with Billy Bean to assist them in that area as well. Although it seems like a PR thing, similar to the relationship between uh, Arsene Wenger and Bean. So hopefully the podcast magic can continue for uh, IFK Gotham. So that's about all for our second live edition at Foley's. Now I think we're just going to have some beers and watch some Mets baseball. Sounds good to me. I'm down. So thanks to Foley's for hosting us again. Thanks to our audience for coming out. (laughs) Come see Sandy Ellerson here on the 20th. And uh, we'll see you next week. Yes. For more Amazing Avenue audio. Well, you would have heard from us again next week, but then the Mets went and played a crazy game last night. So here we are back again. You can call it the B-side to our live show, or episode 113.5, though we don't do that anymore. It's another edition. A secret edition. A hidden track edition. Hidden track. Hidden track edition. Not very hidden. Of Amazing Avenue Audio. Uh, I'm, I am, of course, am your host, Jeffrey Paternostro, and joining me for this hidden track edition is Greg Karam. Greg, we will ask you the question, as we do, that you were very annoyed I pulled out of the agenda for the Foley Show at the last second. It would have made more sense in front of the Foley Show, I guess, but we would have missed out on a five-minute conversation about System of a Down. 
And you can't, <laughs> you can't, miss out on that. can't let that go now. <laughs> Uh, if you could add one, sort of in the spirit of our, our food item question recently, and again, this would have made more sense when we were at Foley's, but it's still on the same basic episode of the podcast, so I'll allow it. If you could add one beer to the rotation at City Field, what would it be? Well, see, you know, I wanted you to ask this because I thought long and hard about it. Um, my favorite beer these days has been the Bronx Pale Ale, but... After doing a little research, I found that they do actually have it there this year. It's like a new addition. Nice. It's good to know. Yeah. So, given that, I think I'm going to go with. I like Omegang beers, and I also, if I'm at a game, I want to get a beer with a high alcohol content because I want to get my bang for my buck. So I'm going to go with Three Philosophers from Omegang. <sighs> Look, that's one of my favorite beers ever. Yeah. I just, but when I'm at a baseball game, I want. Like, I drink mostly dark beers as a general rule. Mm-hmm. Porter, Stouts, that kind of thing. But when I'm in a baseball game, I don't want, like, the left-hand milk Stout or the Sam Smith Teddy Porter. I just can't. Uh, it's just, you know, I, I feel like that's got to be kind of a relaxing day out, something crisp, refreshing, <laughs> you know, a Pilsner. It is intense. It, yes, the Three <laughs> Philosophers is intense. Um, I just can I can just see you just like walking back to, this, to your seat with like the full like twenty five nine and like the champagne bottle, <laughs> like from uh, Big Apple Brews. That'd be great. I would do that. Don't get me wrong. It would be well, an utter it, shit night, show afterwards. Last night I'm at the Harvey game. I got two. I, I go to get some beers. I got two of those twenty four ounce like Millers, and I, I like. Didn't really think about it, but I, I handed my wife, I'm like, here you go, here's your beer. And it's like a, a double 24-ouncer, and it's like <laughs> the size of her face. <laughs> um, but yeah, I would go Pilsner, maybe a uh, like a like a session, like an ESB. I mean, if you if you like stuff a little more hoppy, you can be a session IPA, too. Um, so I went to my, so there's my, sort of my go-to breweries right now are, are Left Hand, which have, I think, two good options here, both their Polestar Pilsner. And their, uh, shoot, uh, Sawtooth are excellent. Mm-hmm. Especially if you get the Sawtooth Nitro in bottle. Are they all Nitro left and left hand? No, you can get them regular. Okay. I just prefer them Nitro. Okay. I think it's a little more, like, it's a little more creaminess. The head lasts a little longer for me. Um, and now they're in Connecticut. We mean to go to the craftier place open by our house recently. Check that out. Travis Darno is raking. Yeah, he just hit a home run. I mean, it's, this is this is good good shit. I figured yeah. out the whole podcasting during the game thing. I have two laptops open right now while we record. I should eventually answer this question because this was supposed to be a short show because it's like attached to the long show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, but but left hand and Twenty First Amendment, they're both like left hand. I associate with Colorado. Twenty First Amendment, I associate with San Francisco. I think they actually have like a a brew pub or something like that either attached to or near the giant stadium so you got to keep it local i think and i I don't know what the uh what the southern tier options are right now Mm. at city field probably not that good but i like southern tier a lot too so i would go Uh, with maybe like their their rye or their uh or their ipa yeah you could do that i mean i'm sure well yeah, there's some Brooklyn lagers too. If you want to stay, you know, really local. Yeah, and the the two rows old uh, old factory pills is good as well. Um, that's a that's a Connecticut beer. But I guess it comes in cans, which is always just a nice sort of accoutrement to a baseball game. You know, pop in a can. 
Yeah. So apparently that's like horrible for you. Like, well, it, like I, the BPA and like those cans, canned beer. Really? Yeah. I, I had three sweet actions when we were recording the podcast, so <laughs> that's probably not good for me long term, but whatever. Yeah. Uh, well, we'll live, I guess. Yeah, well, until we don't, so it doesn't really yeah, matter one way or the other. Yeah. Uh, this is a special hidden track on episode 113 of Mason Avenue Audio. It was not going to happen, but then the Mets played, and you were there, Greg. I was. And I've seen a lot of weird Mets games. You've seen a lot of weird Mets games. There have been a lot of weird Mets games. That was one of them. <laughs> it's amazing. There's a lot of things that happened. And everyone I talk to, it doesn't matter who you talk to, everyone, like, first thing that they say, that was a weird game. Like, I talked to my dad last night. Like, he's just like, that was a weird game. And, like, just, you know, apropos of nothing, just that, that is the word that you could just describe that game by. The game ended with Anthony Recker playing third base. And I actually kind of <laughs> want to start there before we get to sort of why that happened. Yeah. There was a, a game against the Giants last summer that we talked about on the podcast, too, where that almost happened. And the Mets had tied the game, and you have to go with some sort of weird defensive alignment. So, of course, I'm going nuts on Twitter watching the game in my apartment, like, trying to figure out can we play Juan Lagares at shortstop and move Flores over? Like, is Duda going to play third base for that whole thing where I guess Duda mouthed to Terry Collins that he's like, yeah, I can do it, which would have been <laughs> amazing. I'm like, did Duda play some third base at, Col- at USC? I feel like he did, but I don't have time to, like, go back and check his, like, USC college page. I saw it didn't actually do that. But I would well, all Duda. these guys played shortstop at some but point. Maybe you know? not Lucas Duda. Yeah, that's true. Um, and this ended up being Anthony Recker at third, which was kind of boring. And they did not try to bunt an Anthony Recker. They really should have, especially with Familia on the mound. I, I mean, it's like an organizational <laughs> philosophy. They were playing all their backup catchers at third base in Binghamton last year when I saw them. So they just said, eh, we'll stick with that at the major league level, too. Yeah. But what would have been your like go-to defensive alignment for the ninth inning in that spot? Oh, man. Well, when I was thinking about it, I was like, like what do you... <sighs> Uh, I saw all the theories thrown out on Twitter. I think you wanted Ligaris at shortstop. But... I, I wanted DeGrom there, but you can't play DeGrom there. He doesn't even have, probably have an infielder's glove. Yeah, I, I... I'm trying to think who played shortstop more recently. I mean, DeGrom was pretty much a full-time pitcher when he was drafted in 2010. And I want to say Ligaris was a full-time center fielder around then, too. So... Yeah, it's it's tough. I mean, I probably I probably like on the spot. I probably would have just done what they did because I don't know. It just seemed like the path of least resistance. But I mean, the um, funny is, you got like a righty ground ball pitcher on the mound. Yeah, I know. So that's the other like, thing. Like, the right. third base defense might come into play there. It obviously didn't, but right. And and then especially with Familia on the mound, you want a guy who can handle it. But you know what? Look, these guys. I mean, these guys are athletes. You know. Wrecker's a catcher. Uh, you got to be an athlete to be a catcher. So I think he would have been able to acquit himself. Yeah, Jose Molina clearly agrees with you there. <laughs> uh, well, I he wonder if Darneau wasn't the better third base option. I feel like he's maybe a little bit more athletic than. I mean, he's faster than Wrecker, so I guess that's what it comes down to. But I don't. Lagares at shortstop would have been funny. I know it would have been. But then you got to be like, you got to move Lagares to short. You got to move Flores to third. Yeah, yeah every... record record at first. He at least played there in the spring, and you got to move Duda to left and right. How many guys? New and Heist the center, but at least all right. those guys have experience playing those positions in their professional career. Anthony Recker had never played third base, <laughs> and it worked out fine. But it's just one yeah. of those moments where it's like, 
well, what a four-man bench can get you. I was thinking about that when Kadir left the game. Like, they don't really have a lot of players. Then you get Anthony Brecker, like, pinch hitting, to pinch running, which is also hilarious. Yeah, I didn't... I, that, that You know, when you're at the game, if you're not, like, into it like that, like, I just didn't even think about it until that happened. Until Wrecker came out to pinch run, I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> you know, there's nobody left. And, of course, all this happened because... David Wright pulled his hamstring, sliding feet first into second base, which he is now doing to avoid hurting his shoulder. David Wright might be... It's like, we're the same age, and I've had, like, just chronic neck and back and hip issues over the last couple of weeks. Actually, the last few days, which probably involve... It or comes out of me standing for three and a half hours at a Mountain Goats concert, and then riding a Metro North back on Sunday. Yeah. And then just everything kind of went downhill so far this week for me entire body so I can uh, I can commiserate with David on this well look I'll commiserate with him to an extent like I I gotta you know call him out a little bit on his decision to take off in that spot because look you're playing lowly Phillies okay? you're up two runs and it's the bottom of the eighth you should what be able to steal doing? a base without hideously injuring yourself if you're a professional athlete. I guess so. Unless Look, you're I like guess... Kelly Shopich, who had that like ridiculous steal, I guess, at one point. But I know, but he's I mean he's thirty two. It was the eighth inning, it was like ten thirty. He hadn't he probably hadn't done any proper stretching for like three hours. Chase Utley yeah. is five years older than him and is still stealing bases. I know. Just say, like, look, this guy he's gotta he's gotta just take it easy. You gotta be smart with your still stole you know, your stolen bases. That was not a spot. That was not a good spot to do it. Regardless, here we are, and everyone seems to be hoping he will miss the minimum. But it's going to be three weeks. It'll be, it'll be somewhere between. Yeah, it'll be three to five weeks. It'll be May fifteenth. Sure. So Eric Campbell got the red eye from Vegas and is starting tonight. They're still carrying a thirteen-man pitching staff, which hopefully will change after tonight. Once they get through uh, Familia's unavailability. But how – so Eric Campbell, basically, I think we both concur that Eric Campbell is just the third baseman for the next month. That's what is going to happen. Yeah. Is uh, – what do we – how do we feel about this, Greg? Well, I mean, what are your other options? There were there, a few. There's Reynolds. There's a Herrera. There's 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 Mono. I, you know, my ideal option probably my, – my ideal probably would have been to call up Herrera. Play him at second, move Murph over to third. That's that's my ideal. But really, I can't quibble too much with the move that they've made because he's a guy who's been up here before. Um, he hit okay, you know, and he's he, he's capable of, of putting together you know fifteen good games. So I, I'm not going to quibble with it too much. I mean, that's all of what you just said is true, but here's my issue with it. And look, Eric Campbell's already got a single tonight and scored a run. So, I mean, he can absolutely get hot for three weeks. That's what he did last year. And then ended up as like a 670 OPS guy. Yeah. And he's not a very good defensive third baseman. That's a big downgrade from David Wright. And look, anything was probably going to be a noticeable downgrade from David Wright. But here's my sort of problem with the decision. This team, this organization, is so fucking risk-averse. And they're risk-averse in an annoying way at this point. 
Like, nobody, there's going to be no question that calling up Eric Campbell, they're going to get no heat for it. Because, yeah, he was a slightly below average hitter last year, and he's not a very good defensive third baseman. But, you know, he's a replacement-level major leaguer, and Boros's Law, those things, those guys can do anything for ADPA. And even if it doesn't work out, you know, whatever. He was, you know, Adam Rubin assumed he was the choice from, from sort of the get-go last night. So no one's going to really say anything to to Collins or the front office if he's not great for the next month, because really, who else were they going to go with? But this is a team that is trying to win this year. Okay. They need upside. Eric Campbell is 28 years old. He's just, you know, he's a guy. He's a replacement-level bench piece. He's going to get major league at-bats. He's going to get major league at-bats this year one way or the other, but he's your starting third baseman for the next month. So who's your guy? Bring, bring up Delson Herrera. You want Bring up Matt Reynolds. Move Daniel Murphy for a month. Murph will do it. Murph doesn't care. Murph volunteered to go there last year. So Herrera could play for a month. Now you're trying to win games. And look, it may not work out. And then, yes, there may be some hard questions. But at least then you have the chance that Herrera actually established himself as a good major leaguer. And, yeah, you may have a tough decision on May 15th, but then you deal with that when you get there, and you're a team that's in contention. In what's looking like, look, the Nationals eventually will get their shit together. But now is the time to sort of put your stamp on it and be competitive, and maybe you'll open up a lead over a yeah. team that when they make a run, yeah, you're you're in a spot come late summer. And just that sort of the attitude towards it, that this sort of conservatism, like, oh, we're not gonna... Start sending Arter Mats over Dylan G. You know, we're not going to call up the guy that could immediately be an above-average major leaguer. It's like, so July 31st, if they're in a pennant race, are you making a trade to make this team better? Uh, are I you mean, put your money where your mouth is? Well, yeah. That's I mean, risky. Well, you might have to give up a prospect. That might be a thing that happens. It's like a good one, not like Corey Mazzoni. Ah, and it's just well, it's that it, it's just sort of this trend, this sort of attitude towards, well, we just we want to be as competitive as we can, but we don't really want to like go for it. Just fucking go for it. This team hasn't been in a playoff race in seven years. Go for it. Take a fucking chance. Maybe Dilson Herrera hits two twenty for a month and looks overmatched, but then you have more information about Dilson Herrera. That's <clears throat> useful information to have. We know Matt uh, Reynolds can hit triple-A pitching. Not so far this year. <laughs> oh, my God. He went like, I know, he I went know, like I know. two for three today, and he's hitting like 230 now. It's not the end of the I know, I know, I know. Uh, look, but you're getting up in arms about... It's just annoying because the they always do this. Campbell and Herrera. I'm not. It's not really about that. It is, actually, to a certain extent. It's about this. they're not going to go for it. They're you not going to okay, really so, so, put themselves out there, this front office, and right, make a well, move and make this team competitive this year. If it's gonna, if it's gonna cost them something, if it's risky, if it's a certain kind of risk. Look, the risk with Eric Campbell—he's a replacement level player. But so what? We kind of know that he probably is anyway, and he played in the majors last year. Uh you I so okay. You are you're definitely you're like you're pissed off. <laughs> I'm a little annoyed. <laughs> you can tell me. I was just, I, I don't, I don't, I didn't get that 
I don't have that feeling. I do not have that feeling. I am it's not absolutely again, Eric Campbell can absolutely go off for three weeks and make me look stupid. It's what he did and last he, year, basically. But that doesn't make the process good. And that doesn't make me confident. And again, if they're in a pennant race or a wild card race, which, you know, I, it's, it's a week and a half of baseball games, but the NL East looks kind of shitty. It, you know, it definitely does. It looks a little it, shitty. It's it a team with, and again, it's a week and a half of games. There's a team with a way to run the created plus that would not, uh, if your kid brought that home on his report card, you would not be happy. Let's put it that way. Yeah. They're not so hitting. Far, and again, yeah, so that, far that'll not so work itself out, but it's not a good offensive team, and the downgrade from Wright to Campbell is significant before we get even get into defensive issues. I agree with, look. Try to win the games now. Put your best lineup out there every day. I will disagree with you. I just, I just don't think that it's that big of a of a decision that they've. I don't think they flopped the decision at all. I just think that Campbell's going to be able to hold the fort for the amount of time that we need him to hold the fort for. And and you know what? I, I'm like in the position of defending this, but when this is unambiguously a bad situation, you know, because our best player is going to be out for you know ten percent of the season, and that's not. That's not good. Unambiguously bad. Our listeners will be happy if they're actually disagreeing on something. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so the Mets have played a week and a half of games, which is, what, three and a half more games than when we did the podcast at Foley's. So yeah, the sample well, sizes are still pretty small here. They're not going to get any bigger anytime soon. Not in the next 15 minutes, no. Um, I do want to talk a little bit about early returns, though, because why not? We have a Mets podcast. We do this every week. We talk about Mets baseball. Okay. Um, I have been – I'll start since I just kind of went on a little pissy rant. I've been pleasantly surprised with the bullpen. So far? I mean, look, that's that's a move that has been paying off in the early goings is, is trading Matt Dandecker to get Blevins because that's a guy who – he looks like he's a very, very competent uh, loogie. And even Sean Gilmartin's been uh, – I mean, Chase Utley. You know, you threw a yeah. fastball down and Chase Utley. That's what happens. Yeah. But otherwise, you know, it's, it's there's enough there that is a second lefty in the pen. I'm <clears throat> content with that. Yeah. He's got a little bit more velo than, uh, than you know, velocity than we thought. I, I, he's pumping in, you know, 89, 90. I thought he was a little bit lower than that. So it's looking pretty good so far. Jonathan Neese, man. He's like, it's just let Neese always swing away. <laughs> Neese is like a sneaky good hitter. What did he just do? I went in the other room. Oh, he just had an RBI single with two outs. Oh, nice. What the hell was I talking about? Oh, the Mets bullpen. Bullpen, yeah. Yeah, Familia's been fine. I give a home run Jeff Francoeur, but, you know. Apparently, the scouting report that says don't throw Jeff Francoeur fastballs where he can extend his arms somehow is still not out there. <laughs> it was familiar. I would have just thrown him seven sliders. He either would have gotten out or six sliders. However many sliders it took till he either walked or got himself out. Yeah. I mean, that was a no-doubter, too. Oh, yeah. Um, but he's been fine otherwise. Uh, you know, Montero's looked okay when he actually mixes in his secondary stuff. I don't know how long that's going to. Uh... Yeah, my only concern with Montero is that he's it's 
it's been a lot of like 91 and yeah I mean, he hasn't just, gotten sort of the the velocity bump in the yeah in the pen yet i kind of looked this up because i have brooks baseball open the topic well, I, we're about to get to yeah but uh let's see and uh you know carlos torres has been carlos torres I mean, Eric Goodell pitched a good inning in a third. That is a thing that happened. Yeah, well, there's a lot of relievers in there. There's history. There's a lot. I of guess relievers. the only one who's really not pitched well so far is Alex Torres. But we're talking about like I don't even like less than three innings. So yeah. So actually, his average four seamer has been ninety three point two, and his average sinker has been ninety two point two. Okay, then that's and that's. Not a velocity bump per se, but I don't think. No, it's been... that that's okay. That's I, last night I, I I noticed a couple ninety ones and his first. I mean, he's throwing his fastball eighty six percent of the time, which yeah. granted is is skewed a bit by that one outing where he threw his fastball he's forty consecutive every... times. Yeah, I mean, Familia had a, had an early outing like that uh, last year too against the Angels. Remember listening to in a, uh, I think at a. Uh, Hotel in New Hampshire, where he just threw like pitched three innings and actually just threw fastball after fastball after fastball. But I think Montero will be fine, fine there for now. Mm-hmm. But it's just been pleasant to be like, you know, Jerry Blevins comes in the end. I just feel like I'm, I feel okay. I feel much more confident than like than if Scott Rice was coming. I feel as okay as any Mets fan can in a close game when the bullpen is in ever. So, yes, I'm okay with that. Yeah. I did allude to the Mets lineup, which is now without David Wright. And it has not been good. There's no uh there's no way to sugarcoat this, Greg. It has not been good. Well, yeah, I mean it, particular I just go up and down. I mean, who's hitting good? You know, Duda and Darno are doing okay, and Granderson's drawing a lot of walks, and then after that it's like, Well now that Wright's out, what are you gonna do? Entering play, the Mets as a team are hitting 227, 310, 315. Wow. I believe that's the lowest ISO in baseball. It is not the lowest ISO in baseball. It's the third lowest ISO in baseball behind the Marlins and the Twins. Hmm. The Twins have a 47 weighted runs created plus. <laughs> well, they got shut out in like, the first couple of days of the season by the Tigers. Yes. Yeah. The Twins... Are really bad. Yeah. How concerned? I, I say I was concerned. I tweeted a little bit about Juan Lagares, and he's hit two line drive singles today. Like I said, he's just a good week away from being back to regular Juan Lagares. But uh, there's been a lot of culprits here. Yeah. You know, Murphy before his home run last night had been. I mean, he looked. But the thing yeah. with Murphy and Ligaris, and they neither of them have looked good. Um, they at least have a track record of being reasonable major league hitters. Wilmer Flores does not, and I don't want to pile on Wilmer Flores, because we did that at the live show. <laughs> and he has a day off tonight, so his numbers aren't going to get any better, but they're bad. He's looked bad, too. See, that's what it comes down to for me. It's like, oh, you can't, don't overreact to a week and a half. Well, it's like parts of three seasons now. And the process looks awful yeah and and you know they've they've uh, made available the the hit fx stuff and you know it's very early goings obviously but the contact that he's making like we we've always kind of theorized that 
he was making weak contact. You know, he's, made, he's got a low strikeout rate, but he's making weak contact. And yes. Like he his his exit velocities did they are exit not, low. Yeah, they are not good. It's not it's not impressive at all. <laughs> I mean, at least comparatively to you know other average uh, exit velocities for other guys. Like he's way behind like Juan Lugares, for example. So this is going to work itself out, right? Probably. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. So the last subject I want to touch on in two parts is Matt Harvey. We all love Matt Harvey. We do. Yes. So do we have do we have any hot takes on him hitting Chase Utley last night for starters? You were there. Um, you were you were in the you were in the weeds. Yeah, yeah. So I'm in. Uh, so I'm there, and I'm there with my wife, who you know is not the biggest baseball fan, um, but she likes the stories around around the game. So she did not appreciate that that beating at all. Like she was like, you know, have some class, and you know, just don't do that. And um, then I I turned out in the game to the, today, and I heard Gary Keith and Ron, and they were like. You know that was the perfect situation for for beaning. You know, it's like the, the cards were the were set up, and then that was like it sounded like they were in favor of it, uh, especially because you know Buchanan had hit two guys and had hit a guy after Duda's bases clearing um, double. So it's a very tough thing because you need to protect your guys, but you also don't want to be a dick and. Um, I don't think really Matt Harvey cares if he's a dick or not. No, that's true. I'm just talking about in the, you know the general sense. No, there's there's no doubt about that. That Matt Harvey was probably going to do something because he considers himself an alpha, you know, an alpha male, and he's going to be the guy who goes out there and protects his teammates, and and that's what he ended up doing. Um, and it, it was very interesting because Worthen went out the right before that and talked to him, and I, I my assumption was like. Hey, take it easy. You know, pit, you know, don't don't do anything uh, in the zone with this guy. And Harvey was like, "All right, I'm not going to do anything in the zone. I'm going to hit this motherfucker." You know, like, <laughs> it's like, look, we're we're fucking animals, man. When that happened, I was like, and I like Chase Utley too, as far as like Phillies go. I have respect. Too, for, yeah. I respect Chase Utley. I respect him, yes. But you know, it's it's. I don't have to be in that locker room. It's easy to say. I'm gonna hit a guy with a baseball. That's silly. But yeah. I don't have to be in that locker room. Baseball is baseball, man. Sometimes yeah. you gotta put in. You know, at least, like, <laughs> and of course, the post game was the best part of the whole thing. It's like, yeah, it was, that one just got away from me. Chase Utley is like, yeah, yeah that sounds about right. I mean, like, he stared him down. Chase Utley gets yeah. <laughs> Chase Utley gets hit as a matter of course. He like, gets hit more than anybody else. Yeah. I was yeah. like, yeah, you know. And it's like, I don't think Buchanan hit either of those guys on purpose. I just think he had no clue where the ball was going last night. Yeah. But that's... Well, look, my initial reaction after he hit Kadir was like, like my just my my visceral gut reaction was like, we got to hit one of those guys. Like, hit him back. So you can't, and, you can't help it. So many Mets get injured over the years on that. You know, David Wright specifically getting hit by Matt Cain. It's just like... Yeah. And they never retaliate, which is fine. But... You know, Matt Harvey is Matt Harvey. Yeah. Yeah, I look, I, I you know, Harvey's got that kind of, uh, that kind of factor. He's got that, like, you know, I don't give a shit. I'm going to, I'm going to go out and I'm going to do it. And, um, 
that's what he did last night. And, you know, if, if, if that's your thing, if that's what you like, you're going to like him even more for it. If not, then you're not going to like him for it. But I like that he's on my team. Yeah, he definitely is one of those guys where if he uh, right, if he was on another person's team, you would hate him. Yeah, exactly. I mean, this isn't like you know Cole Hamill hitting Bryce Harper to teach him a lesson, Rook, or anything like that. It was you know, yeah, in the in sort of in the flow of the game and whatever else. Uh, you know, it almost backfired after, as we said, the game was really weird. It was uh, weird. Ryan ha- Ryan Howard did hit a baseball, but did not hit a catcher's glove. That was the weirdest thing. I, I didn't actually get to see any replays. Like, did did it actually? They hit? missed it by a foot. Like, it oh, wasn't really? even close. I mean, you kind of figured just by Darno's reaction because he was so adamant. You figured that he didn't touch it, but wow. Okay, that's that's really weird because he was he had no chance at hitting anything hard. Uh, it's throwing almost, at him last it's almost sad. It's yeah, almost, almost. Sad. almost if almost. he wasn't so rich. Yeah. Um. So, despite every beat writer—actually, not despite—probably in part due to every beat writer jinxing Matt Harvey's start before it actually happened, the Phillies beat him up a little bit. Nothing terrible. <laughs> you know, Chase Utley is going to get his, and he he threw a couple two seamers for some reason to Cody Ash and Chase Utley. They got hit very hard. But I, I gotta, I, I got, I gotta ask you though: the, the top of the first, okay, the crowd's going nuts. You know, Harvey comes out, he throws, he strikes out the first two guys, you know, everybody's just going absolutely insane. And this guy, I don't know how it looked on TV, but this guy hits the ball out of the park. Well, I was actually driving home from work, so I I heard the first two strikeouts in the car, I shut off the car, was heading upstairs, and my phone vibrates, Chase Utley hit a solo home run, the Phillies lead 1-0. I checked Twitter, and it's just like, literally... Scrolling, scrolling, scrolling through all the like, you know, F you chase. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Going through it. It was, it was, I mean, if you take a step back, it was hysterical. It was hysterical because everybody was just in a frenzy. We're all just going nuts. And it was like the absolute worst thing that could possibly happen. Oh, it was, it was, it was a terrible but funny moment. So with the caveat that I am in no way shape or form concerned with Matt Harvey in 2015. He's actually a very different pitcher than he was in 2013, Greg. Yes, he is. Uh, we saw it a little bit in the spring, and in spring it's like, okay, he's throwing his curveball more, he's throwing his changeup more. That's the kind of stuff you do in spring. And we're talking about two starts. We're talking about 190-ish pitches. He's thrown seven sliders. Only one last night. He's using his curve 16% of the time, his change 14% of the time. Saw from Brooks Baseball. He's thrown seven sliders. And look, I think both his changeup and his curveball are, are underrated pitches. Um, the change even more than the curve, I think people are starting to realize that he's a very good curveball. The curveball has actually gotten better um, since he came back. But, you know, Matt Harvey is a, is a four-seamer changeup curveball guy. Very good pitcher. Top of the rotation starter. Absolutely. Matt Harvey with those two pitches and that 70 slider, best right-hander in baseball. Yeah, now, what is... the, the theory, look, you throw enough 90-mile-an-hour sliders, your elbow's going to go, I think is what he sort of puts in the back of his mind. Because the slider was absolutely his primary secondary pitch in 2013. Yeah. 
No, he threw. Yeah, he threw it between fifteen and twenty percent of the time. Which isn't, uh, you know, it's not. It's not a crazy high amount, but that's a lot of sliders, and they averaged eighty nine point nine miles an hour, which is right. just silly. Like something right. has to give there, and whether that was approximate cause, uh, first Tommy John surgery, whether something was just written in the stars, you know, years ago. It's so many bullets theory. I don't know, but. You could see when the the Phillies have it, were having success, they were sitting, and the Marlins had did this a lot last year too. And they said sitting first pitch fastball, mm-hmm. and it's a good one. And his four seamer will get swings and misses even first pitch. But you know, major leaguers can hit a ninety six, ninety seven mile an hour fastball if they're sitting. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I no, I agree. I, and but I think he needs to keep that pitch in, in his arsenal. It seems that I think he can a, throw it less. He just needs to just throw it ten you know, percent of the time. Be selective. Yeah, you know it. It, it seems it, it. It does seem like a very concerted effort to uh, eliminate an or just limit a pitch that puts stress on the elbow. I mean, at least that's what the research has shown. Phillies are fucking terrible. Phillies are really bad. What's happened now? Oh, Lucas Dude just hit a bomb. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Nice. <laughs> so, yes, I'm not concerned with Matt Harvey. Even as, like, a fastball, curveball change guy, he's still a very good pitcher. No, he's still got things He's not walking anybody at all. Yeah, it's just yeah, it's silly. Don't be fine. Don't be ridiculous. But it's something, I think it's something worth keeping an eye on. It is going to be worth keeping an eye on. And the last, the last inning last night was very strange, too, because he threw 10 pitches. Uh, I mean, which tells you all you need to know. But he threw seven changeups out of those 10 pitches in the sixth inning. It was very strange. It was a fairly lefty heavy lineup, I will say. Yeah. That. So, um, I don't know. It's, it's going to be, it's going to be, yeah, worth monitoring going forward. So that about covers it. Yeah. Again. Again. Once again. It's going to be a long one. It is. Thank but you for made sticking it. with us. <laughs> and I can actually update. I can do the uh, Swedish soccer update again. Oh, sweet. Podcast magic. It wore off. Ah. Uh, 1-0 loss against Malmo at home. Not eh. Not good. It wasn't going to last forever. No, it probably wasn't going to last forever. Malmo's very, they're in the Champions League this year. Yeah. Very disappointing. <laughs> not disappointing that due to home run also not disappointing anyone that wanted a two hour podcast this week you're welcome yes you're welcome. so for realsy this time there'll be no fake out there'll be no fade out we'll see you next week <laughs> on amazing avenue audio <laughs>